Hello, welcome everyone to another episode of King of Pro Wrestling Podcast. Paul and I are here today to talk about the best of the Super Juniors. We do have some assorted news and notes and, of course, our classic matches. Uh, to get things started, though, Paul, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Man, it's been a crazy day. The baby shower was today, so... Yeah, we are just saying it makes it feel more real, doesn't it? It really does. It really does, yeah. In a very good way, you know. It was, yeah, you're, it was, you're uh, single-digit weeks out now from the due date. Yeah, I know. Think about it that way. It's crazy. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I'm, I'm excited, and it was... Uh, you know, not to get all sappy, kind of like you were saying earlier, but just it was it was a little emotionally overwhelming, you know, having all these people like give us all these things and care so much about this baby that's not even here. It was, well, it was really cool. Today is, if you think today was emotionally overwhelming, <laughs> you see what's coming. <laughs> yeah, right. We've only just begun. Um, speaking of beginnings and new beginnings, uh, let's kick off our news and notes with uh, a piece of news that literally dropped like right after we got finished recording our last episode and I wish we could have included it in that one just because at this point it almost feels like old news uh, even though it's only a week old and that is that New Japan Pro Wrestling has a new president Um, and for the first time ever he's not Japanese no he's not yeah, Harold May. He's uh, 54 years old. He's Dutch. Um, now, he's lived in Japan for over 30 years. He came there, actually, when he was a very young boy with his father, who was working there. Um, he is fluent in English and Japanese. Uh, he has basically, for uh, the better part of the past, like, 10 years or so, been working, um, you know, with... He was working with Coca-Cola for a while in Japan. Uh, he ended up taking over uh, as the CEO of Japanese toy company Takara Tomy, um, which, you know, if you're familiar at all with, like, Transformers, for instance, that's one of their brands, one of their products. He took them from their biggest loss year in 2014 to their most profitable profitable year ever in 2017, which I think is, you know, right there if anyone needs to, to you know, to look at a resume and say, this is the guy we want. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Um, and, and I know that he, he's been called a fan of pro wrestling in a couple articles that I read, but that's not entirely true. He was a fan of sumo, uh, and, and actually, um, even did like an interview piece for a magazine, um, where he interviewed a sumo wrestler. And so, I mean, he's very much into sumo, but, uh, he does have an appreciation for pro wrestling and he's very excited about the potential of, of, of taking, the brand elsewhere, especially expanding internationally, which I think just by virtue of him not being Japanese and yet still being fluent in the language, also being fluent in English, it's clear that this is, uh, you know, a, a decision to get them into that international market even, you know, even more and broader and quicker as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm no expert on the business. So, you know, to give my opinion on whether or not this is a good move or not, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, just just basing on what you can read in the man's, um, you know, his resume, his past history, he seems to know what he's doing. Yeah. Um, just, just, and just from the simple, you know, some of the uh, the quotes that I've seen, like some of the things that, that have been on Twitter and stuff, it seems like he knows what he wants to do. But I have a, I have a feeling it's a good thing because I don't see him getting involved with the wrestling itself. Right. 
I, I think, I mean, I could be wrong, but it, it seems to be more of the expansion of their business out overseas and out of Japan where he's going to excel. Um, the interesting thing for me was when I was reading up on him is that he graduated uh, from Bucknell University. Yeah, which that's is right. Like, that's in my neighborhood. It's yeah. right there, not my, I say my neighborhood. It's like about an hour away, but it's, it's a local university. Um, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Now, I don't know. The best way I can describe this is I think it's great that someone who's not Japanese can become the president of New Japan. Yeah. But I don't know, well, time will tell whether it's not that, uh, whether or not it's great that this man is the, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. Like, I, I think that the credentials are absolutely there, and it'll be interesting to see what he does, but until he actually starts doing it, it you're right. It, it's one of those things where you're sort of like, well, it sounds good, but what, you know, what can we know? Um, one thing I did find interesting is apparently uh, he and uh, Takaki Kidani, who is um, the Bushi Road president, uh, had been in contact prior to this. And even when he was working with Takara Tomi, at one point he gave the suggestion for like the New Japan like teddy bears that they sell, um, yeah. which I guess have actually been very profitable for them. Uh, so it's interesting to know, you know, that he's already kind of business wise had a bit of an impact. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think. And- it sounds like it's a great move, but like you say, and, we'll and have to see. Know, he's not Japanese by birth, but he's lived such a uh, such a large portion of totally. his life in Japan that it's not like it's somebody walking in who doesn't know the culture, doesn't know the language, doesn't know Japanese society. He, obviously, he's going to know all that. He knows Japanese television because he lives there. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and then the thing about this, and I don't know how their business model is set up, but... He's the president of New Japan, but New Japan's still owed by Bushi Road. Correct. So if you had a situation where things were starting to get off the rail, it's not like they couldn't make a change. Right. Do you well, know what I mean? It's not like he's he's the end all be all. Exactly. At it, New Japan. So it's 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 good in that way that, you know, you're not locked in, but I, I have a feeling that he's gonna do well. I yeah I think so too and going to, into what you were saying too about the fact that well he's not Japanese but he's so steeped in the culture the interview that I read uh, and I, I wish I could remember the magazine I, I, I unfortunately I can't find the article right now um, but he again he interviewed a sumo wrestler and even within the, the interview there were times when the sumo wrestler was saying I'm you know I was surprised that you knew that or you really do know your stuff things like that so it's clear that he has you know not only a deep knowledge but appreciation for the culture and and I think that, again, while they're looking at international expansion, there's no way that you can take a, a product, which ultimately, as much as I might not like to call it that, it is a product, to, to take a product without having an appreciation and familiarity with where it came from in order to get it to that next level. Um, and he's already remarked in interviews. He's like, we've got the best wrestling product there is. Uh, we've got, he, it's funny because I saw some people on Twitter even talking about this, but he talked about basically how handsome the wrestlers are, how good they look, how, you know, yeah. how, he, how he believes that they're the best looking, that they're the best workers, or the, you know. So it, it, it's clear that he's behind the product. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens next. Yeah, I mean, time will tell, but I, I'm not overly concerned. Yeah. I, I think, if anything, it's going to be a positive. It's good, you know, it's somebody from outside the company who have a fresh perspective, but I don't think he's coming in there trying to reinvent the wheel. Right. You know? Yeah. Especially, like you said, he already talks about how great the wrestling is. I, he's not going to want to come in. That's the one thing I think he knows he doesn't need to change. Right. Absolutely. It's a good point. You know, like, and I think, too, being someone who's not a native ja- uh, speaker of Japanese. Now, he speaks it now, but, um, you know, 
like I said a couple episodes ago, when Kevin Kelly is unavailable, I still to this day don't understand why they don't have a B team announced team in English. You know, you, there's got to be people yeah. that are involved in the wrestling business that live in Japan full time that could be your B team. Stuff like that, I think he'll have a better handle on because he he would have been in that boat at one point. Right. Not, you know what I mean? And I think that, yeah, I think that's the type of stuff just, too, for the international expansion in general. It, you're, that's a great point. And it's like, of course we need to have a B team. And I think that, again, growing the product forward, I, I have no doubt that that'll probably be one of the things that they look at. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see talent-wise, too, if there's any changes there. Again, I, don't, I, I think that you're right. I think he's going to probably stay a little away from that, separate himself from that and let the people that know the business and, you know, are wrestlers and work, you know, with the wrestlers make those sorts of decisions. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was sort of that idea, uh, you know, and this is a sticky wicket and I'm not saying that this will happen. So don't send me your hate mail, but in in a similar way to what WWE has been doing as far as saying like, Oh, well, we're going to go to this country. Let's take a look at the wrestlers in this country or let's, you know? And so I wonder if there might be just looking at the marketing side of things is, will there be a, you know, we're, we're going to go to this country. Let's see if we can pick someone up. Now I would argue they don't necessarily have to do that because they already have some wonderful talent from North America, from the United Kingdom. So it's like they don't need to to, to force it. Whereas WWE, I think, is kind of forcing the issue. Um, I think that they've let it happen organically, so it positions them even better for that expansion. But I, I, you know, it's, I think it's a question worth asking: Will they try to open those doors wider? Yeah, but I don't think necessarily that's an, an, a bad thing by default. Mm-mm. I mean, when you mentioned WWE, like, the, the thing that jumps to mind, let's was, was just say it, was when they wanted to try to expand into India, so they made Jinder Mahal the champion and right. ruined the product. I don't see New Japan doing anything like that, but it'd be more on par like how WWE just went into Saudi Arabia and had four people like they had a camp there to look for some talent and yeah. listen wherever you can find talent i mean i don't think like you said they need to worry about north america too much because i don't you know their biggest north american star is canadian yeah right but americans don't care if you're you know what i mean just as long as you're an english speaker right. what they gravitate towards sure. I mean, I, who cares if kenny omega's from canada or the united states i mean you have the young bucks you have cody i know yep. the, uh, he's a ring of honor guy but you have him at your disposal so there's a lot of yeah. I don't think they're going to hurt too much. So they're, they're, and New Japan's the kind of company, too, that if they find talent, no, they're, they're not going to just rush them. No, no, without a doubt. I mean, and even looking at the best of the Super Juniors, you know, with Chris Sabin and ACH and Dragon Lee, it's like, you know, you've got, uh, you know, these these North American wrestlers. You've got Will Ospreay, Marty Skrull. So I think that the yeah. international appeal of the product has kind of grown organically, uh, which is which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, so moving on, another thing that has picked up a lot of steam over the past week since we recorded our last episode, uh, and you brought this up uh, to me. I had not even thought about this, uh, and you made a wonderful point about uh, the possibility for interference in the Omega Okada match. Uh, there was actually a thread on the subreddit talking about Cody Rhodes interfering, but what you had brought up, and and the more I think about it... And I brought it, this up right from the beginning. Yeah, and the more I think about it, the more I'm like, man, that is a possibility. I, I, I have some reasons for why I don't think it's going to happen, but that said, why don't you throw out what your theory was? Well, I said in the beginning that when, this, when they initially made the match for Dominion, the, my first instinct was Kenny's going to win the title. Mm-hmm. And I think we both shared that. Then yeah. I was at work the next day thinking about it, and I'm thinking to myself, and, and what happened was Cody, or I'm sorry, Cody, Kenny put something on, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or just in a press release, where he mentioned, he mentioned that he wanted Abushi to be to second him, yeah. but not interfere in the match, just there to, for support. 
And the second I read that, I'm like, uh oh, because all I could picture in my head was when Abushi wrestled AJ for the title after winning the best, um, winning the New Japan Cup. And remember when he was going to do the move to win, Kenny jumped up on the apron. Yep. And there was that hesitation, and it led to him losing. I, I have a fear that they're going to have Abushi do something in the match. Um, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. In fact, I probably think it won't. I think it's more likely if Abushi's going to do something, it'll be later down the road to right. cost him the title. Um, but I could see Abushi if they wanted to go that route to break them up and, and continue that storyline. Now, does something to screw Kenny out of the title? Yeah, I, I don't say he's going to necessarily attack him, but there could be that one moment of hesitation because he does something. And it leads to. And I don't think they're gonna, personally. But if they want to, if they want to go off the, the beaten path, that's how you do it. Because I think at Dominion, their biggest match of the year, or I'm sorry, their, their second biggest card of the year, the main event. After these guys had wrestled three matches already, I think they're going to have a clean finish, especially going with no time limit and yeah. two out of three falls. I don't think they want this match stained in any way. Right. But it would be if they, if they want to keep the the belt on Okada, that's how you do it. Without hurting Abushi, or yeah. I'm sorry, without hurting Omega, and, and you're elevating that feud. I personally think it's going to go on longer, I, and I don't think Abushi is going to be the one that screws Omega. I think Omega is going to be the one that screws Abushi eventually. Yeah. Um, but I could, well, I could see a scenario where either Abushi wins the G1 and Kenny celebrates with them and puts him up on his shoulders and hits a, a one wing angel on him, <laughs> or I could see a scenario where something happens where Omega has the title and Abushi does something to him to make him lose the title. Because I don't... At some point, we have to get a payoff with an Omega-Abushi feud, correct? And I, I don't see that match being for the title and headlining Wrestle Kingdom. I just don't. Um, I think it would be, like, the second match on the uh, from the top. You know, it's weird. Match. Like, I could see Omega losing the title somewhere between now and Wrestle Kingdom... Okay. Because of Ibushi, and it sets up like an Ibushi Omega match, and Okada gets the belt back, or somebody gets the belt, and Okada winds up winning G1 and challenging that person. It's interesting because I think that the investment has been made, and I don't think that it was entirely intentional, but the investment has been made into the storyline between Kenny and, and Kota Ibushi going back like a decade. The fact that, you know, New Japan has, has basically. Um, you know, built off of what was already there and just established between the two of them and, and, and then, you know, used what they previously did with them into now that I could see actually a Wrestle Kingdom main event between the two of them for the title. That said, I do think that what you what you're saying is probably more likely that they're that you know that they would be second from the top. And well, the that, reason I say that too is I don't necessarily think if you build this up right, this is going to be such a like a, an intense feud. And it's gonna be so personal. It'll be a match that doesn't need the title attached to it to draw sure. money. Well, Where if you could put, you could pick somebody maybe outside the the, um, the norm to go up against Okada at the G, or for the title, or, or any way you want to do it. I mean, you could have anybody beat Omega if you have a Bushi interfere. The weird thing about that is, and 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 I have mixed feelings about this as a supposition, is that I almost think that if it's not if it's not Kenny and Ibushi at the Dome. And it's not Kenny and Okada at the Dome for the title. Then it's almost got to be, again, Okada Naito. and Naito. And in yeah. that case, I think it's got to be a situation where it, 
where it is personal, not in the same way that the grudge match that you could potentially build with, with Ibushi and Omega would be, but it's personal in so much as you have what I want and I'm coming for it. And this belt that I have means nothing and I'm done with it. And you know, that, that sort of like, you know, the, the double champion match kind of thing. But I don't know. I, I think that we that, that the great thing is is that there's so much going on and built into this two out of three falls, no time limit match that we're going to get at Dominion that it could end up having an angle built into it as well with Ibushi, or it could be, and I think it probably will be, a very clean finish to say this is the best wrestling on the face of the planet. No other I, two guys could do this. I agree. My If you put a gun to my head if I had to make a call I say this ends with the clean finish and Omega wins and if something's going to happen shady it's going to be a king of pro wrestling yeah I think that's a good bet that's just my guess because I, I, I'm with you I think they have this match there's been three of them they built this up to be this no time limit two out of three falls we're going to find out who the best man is it's their second biggest card of the year it's their big event of the summer I think they're going to go out and say hey listen you want to if you're a fan of actual in-ring wrestling brace yourself because we have the best in the world and we're about to show it to you again yeah yeah and then i think the g1 will end up telling us a lot as far as what the yeah what what the plans are we see who wins the g1 we're gonna have a much better understanding plus two and i don't think you need him to have the belt to draw or anything but i just think it's smart too if you're gonna have omega to do win it now is the time especially going into this big g1 special at the cow palace right well and not only that let's be honest here if he if, if he has it at the cow palace like he's there's he's not going to lose it between now and all in you know what i mean so he'd also have it at all in which i think could be well, well we're going to have the well barring some crazy scenario we're going to have the IWGP championship at yep. all in yeah and Great point. whether little, it's okada or omega <laughs> yeah and we're going to get to a little tidbit because it's going to wind up making history because it's going to be the first time in how many years where you're going to have the IWGP championship and the NWA World Championship defended on the same card. <sighs> My God. I mean, Jesus, what, what, that's got to be like 25 years. It's got to be from when the WCW yep. New Japan thing ended. Yeah, I, I mean, mean and that's and like I said, that's about twenty five plus years now. So it's, I mean, it's it is that event is going to be historic, and as if everyone didn't already know, we will be there. We're going to be all in. We're going the to cats be at Starcast. We can talk about this. Yeah, now. right. <laughs> and in fact, you know what? It's great if you go to Starcast, um, Starcast dot com. Yep. Remember, at Starcast with two R's, they have all the information up now. If you click on Podcast Row, we are the first one listed. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think what happened, too, is they, when they first put them up, they missed putting our, our thing up. And yeah. it was, it, they put them all up so quick. They did tweet out our, the picture of our podcast, like our logo and everything, right. which was great. So we, when we, you let them know, that they, and they said, oh, we forgot. I don't know if they did it as a thank you, like an apology or whatever, but they put us... There's like 26 podcast logos. You have to scroll all the way. Like L, James Ellsworth's at the bottom. Yeah. We're the number one spot. <laughs> hey, man. Man with two hands. Yeah, Give him the chance. But, um... Yeah, any man with two hands, right? But no, StarCast is going to be great. But you know what? Um, why we're talking about All In before I forget, too. Yeah. There was a rumor. Um, I was reading online, and I don't know if this is just conjecture or if it's a possibility. But did you see where they're trying to get permission to use a WWE tag team? No. The the rumor is that they didn't want to get involved with it until after they sold the tickets. Because sure. they don't want anybody to turn around and say they had help from the WWE or whatever. Yeah. But apparently... They want to have the revival at All In. Wow. And apparently from what I was reading on certain sites, 
they, they're going to approach it, but the idea, the, the notion is WWE might not be as negative about it as one would think. Well, I know Triple H. Tri- Triple H uh, yeah. sent a text message to Cody congratulating him. Like, I, I mean, and that's the, the thing. Feeling, it confirms what we've always kind of is, thought. Like, he he's yeah. keeping an eye on it. You know. Yeah, and I think Triple H also understands what this show is. Mm-hmm. It already sold out, so yeah. it's it's a sellout no matter what. It's it's the popularity is not going to change depending on the WWE, right? But they can send a tag team there for one night, and why what why not help? your own tag team it's great it's a great spot for the revival yeah you know because you're gonna have all these these fans and if you can have anybody who watches this show that maybe dislikes the wwe or doesn't really watch the wwe because you're gonna have some people let's face it are are gonna not watch wwe just because they watch the indies it's like the hipsters of anything else it's like they they were on it before anybody else it was cool you know right 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 what if some of those people you throw them in and are impressed by the revival? They're like, "Well, you know, let's tune in Monday and see if they're on." Yeah, you know what? What's it gonna hurt? You know what I mean? Plus, that'd be a huge payoff too if you get the Young Bucks versus, versus the Revival and all in. Absolutely. I mean, I, I would have to say, and I could be wrong about this because you know who knows? I mean, Matt and Nick Jackson, being the guys that they are, might not give a shit. But I would think, and maybe this is the perfect reason not to do it. But I would think that you'd have to have on that show. The Bucks go over, you know, especially with all the fuck the revival stuff that they did. Although it might be really interesting, you know, if if, if pushing ego aside and everything, if it was like, let's do business here. What's more interesting yeah. for the long game? Well, um, I think you'd have the Bucks go over, but you could you could work out the details of that simply. You could say we're going to make the revival look like a million bucks and sure. something's going to happen. Hangman Page is going to super kick somebody in the outside when the ref's not looking or whatever. Right, you want sure, to, you sure. know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's a good but, point. There's I, so many different ways, and and I'm sorry. I just I know that's not what we were talking about, but I just threw that out because I saw it. And whether or not it becomes a reality, it's a great little talking point, and I would love to see it just from a fan's perspective. And I think personally, if you're Triple H, it makes sense in one way to want to do it. Yeah, I mean, the worst possible thing is one of the guys get hurt. But let's face it; they could easily just could get hurt working an NXT show or working a house show the same night. Right. Well, and they and they actually they were on NXT uh, just a couple of nights ago. Um, so they, they, they did a house show for yeah, NXT. Yeah, did a house show. Yeah. So, um, we'll and so did happens. Tyler Breeze. Like, it's interesting, I guess, you know, because they're not on the European tour, they didn't have anything else to do, and it's just sort of like, hey, come do, come and, do this uh, NXT show. And does it save face a little bit? Like, I, I know it'll have nothing to do with ticket sales, but later down the line when people are talking about all this all-in event, and one of the, like, say Triple H gets asked about it, he could say, yeah, we're, it's great for wrestling in general. We even let the revival. We wanted to take part and be part of the, stu- the, the festivities. Yeah. We sent some of our talent over there. It makes it look like, yeah, we're not mad. This is great for wrestling now. And, you know, we even helped a little. Well, I think it, you and, know, and he, it would make sense, too, that, that it wouldn't come out or wouldn't even be mentioned until after it was sold out. Because I could see why the, nobody would want to make it sound like, well, they, they didn't sell out until they added a WWE tag team. Right. Absolutely. I do think that it, it, it raises two questions for me. And the first one being that, like, they had they had started promoting the possibility of Daniel Bryan versus Cody Rhodes, or rather Bryan Danielson, as it would have been, uh, for this show. Now, we know that based on the contract situation that, uh, as has been reported, maybe this isn't true, but what has been reported is that his contract is not actually up until September 15th, so he would not have actually been able to be at all in... Well, you know, in the, the first place, he was but, not medically 
Yeah, you, I'm well, sorry, you finish your thought. Yeah, because the thing is, is that, you know, they had started sowing the seeds on Twitter, and Cody Rhodes had started using, um, uh, you know, his moves and, and, and things like that, and, and, and then all of a sudden um, completely stopped. And then shortly after that, you know, he was medically cleared and in, in, in the WWE. Now, the thing had been is that even though he was cleared in WWE, before that, there was a lot of talk that if he left, he would be able to go and wrestle elsewhere in spite of not being cleared to work for the WWE. Yeah, now, because at the time of the talk, the talk of the time, right, was that yeah. he was cleared by a lot of independent neurologists. It was right. just that the WWE's head physician wouldn't Joseph sign Maroon off on it, correct? Clear him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, let's just say he wasn't going to get medically cleared and he was still just the GM of SmackDown or whatever. Do you think the WWE would have let him out of the last 15 days of his contract to do it? No. I don't know, because you know what? If you do something like that with the guy who's leaving in two weeks anyway, right? Especially if the show is already sold out, you know, you don't lose anything by doing it. And it looks good if you ever want to sign anybody else. Like, look, at we helped the guy out a little bit. We couldn't clear him in good conscience, but we didn't want to hurt him. He was going to go off and do other things. He had an opportunity. It was 15 days or, you know, you, you could clear him because you're going to get something back on the back end. Like who would have ever thought in a million years that you would have saw a contracted WWE wrestler in a UFC fight? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what they got in return yeah. for that, but I'm just saying sometimes it's easy. I don't know what the hell they got in return for yet either. Honestly, like I, it, it, whatever they got in return, the fans haven't seen it. That's for well, damn maybe sure. It was just that they figured it was another way. It was marketing. Maybe it was a way to market Brock Lesnar sure. even more. Or, you know, and I don't watch UFC all the time. I wonder if they ran some, they might've got some free advertising time during UFC events or something. That's possible. You know, now the other thing that I wanted to raise real quick about this is that, yeah. and this is still up in the air. Um, is the CM Punk factor. Because we know two things. We know, A, that he has a fight in June uh, here in Chicago for UFC 225. We also know that he has a court date set for May 21st. So that's Monday. So Monday morning, he is going to be in court because of the trial. Which a lot of people are surprised about. In fact, Dave Meltzer was even writing in The Observer, and I don't want to go too in-depth, but uh, he was writing about the fact that he was shocked that they did not come to an agreement. Because most times, you know, when you have two parties like this, one of them will end up sort of backing down and being like, yeah, you know, maybe maybe I... My my case doesn't hold water. Yeah, exactly. Maybe I was a little... Well, I mean, do you you think, and and I don't know the details, but do you really think that the WWE wants wants their medical team under oath have an answer. You don't imagine know. they do. I'm well, no, fucking shocked. They didn't do anything, let's just say for argument's sake, they didn't do anything wrong, right? You don't know what questioning, though, is going to come up. No. That could, they could have done something completely right, and it could have nothing to do with CM Punk, because they're gonna, they could use other injuries to other wrestlers to try to show a pattern. Right. Right? What if they botched one thing, and that comes out in court and makes them look really bad? Or yeah. Really like, so I, I don't know. Like, I thought for sure this would have got settled. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I thought it would have just been they would have both just dropped their suits because he, there's a suit and a countersuit, correct? Yep. Yes, that is correct. So I don't know. I'm shocked, too, that it got to this point because the last thing you want if you're a billion-dollar company like the WWE, especially with all the talk coming up of the TV contracts coming up right. next year and, like, their, their stock is at an all-time high and everything, is you want, I don't think you want any of your employees under oath for any reason. Well, and I will say this. Just because you never, ever, ever know what could come out. 
Like, right. You know, I, I'm a good person. I don't really break the law. But if you got me under oath and start asking me questions, you know, you might get me where I have to say something that's embarrassing or. Oh, you yeah. Know, you know, I'm just get, saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. Absolutely. I mean, and the, and the thing is, is the minute you answer a question, even if you answer in good faith, being like, oh, no. And then all of a sudden somebody's like, well, I have proof that this did happen. And it's like, well, but in the context, I didn't think that it meant, you know, like, there's so many different ways that it can be skewed. And it's not a criminal case. It's not like you're going to go in there if you screwed something up and start pleading the fifth right. because it's a civil case. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and nothing here is nobody's alleging any law breaking. It's just medical malpractice malfeasance basically is what punk's claiming yeah right? and they're and they're claiming that he basically lied about it is that right in, in a so, nutshell and, 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 and not and, to go off on a tangent right and that's what i was going to say to kind of keep this short i do have a quick question a follow-up to that though is if if punk were to win this case do you think that would give more weight to the concussion lawsuit that's going on right now uh i don't know yeah. And and I'm not a lawyer and or a doctor, but they're going to be two separate issues because Punk's um, injury was an infection, correct, on his back? Yeah, yeah. And the concussion thing is a whole other argument because the argument with the concussion is the same thing with the NFL concussion lawsuits. Isn't that they misdiagnosed them or anything? It's that did they or did they know that the long-term effects the concussions had? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, they could say, yeah, we diagnosed them with the concussion at the time, but at the, at the time, nobody in the medical field knew the long-term ramifications. So we didn't provide bad medicine based on the information at the time. Yeah. It's, 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 it, you come down to those things. Like, and, and I, you know, listen, in life, I usually try to root for the little guy. But then when sure. you get to, like, the NFL and, and this and everything and the concussion, I mean, didn't you kind of know there was an inherent danger? Right. Like, I don't know. Like, it's hard for me, especially with the NFL one. You have a lot of people, and, and a lot of them didn't make a ton of money, a lot of these people that are suing. But some of them made millions and millions of dollars, and now they have con- problems because of concussions. Well, you played a violent game and got well compensated for it. Did you not see it coming? Right, right. No, That's I not every instance because there's a lot of guys that played for a year or two and didn't make real money, and maybe they have long-term effects, and, and I don't know. But that that's up for judges and, jur- and juries to decide, but... I don't know if one inherently has to do with the other case at all. No, I agree. The I only c- way it could is if you if you get them in record and a court ruling that their medical team purposely somehow knew Punk's injury was it was worse than it was and let him continue. Yeah. Maybe then you can try to show a pattern that they didn't care about the, the, the people, but I don't know. And that's probably why they went so overboard with Daniel Bryant. Oh, yeah, without a doubt it is. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll have to see how it happens. I still wouldn't be surprised if if that somehow gets settled before it gets to the jury. Actually, you know, it's funny that you were were saying that because I wanted to kind of close with the fact that it's like, let's face it, there's still, you know, 24-plus hours before the, the case. I mean, anything can happen. So well, you can you knows? can litigate a case for three weeks, and then it goes to the jury, and before they come up with the verdict, say, hey, okay, wait a minute, we reached an agreement. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that happens, too, because one side who thinks they're in control, maybe the, they get a feeling that the court proceedings aren't going as well as they thought, and they get a little nervous, so they let's make a deal. Right. Or vice versa. So we'll see. But, yeah. I mean... And well, as far as punk at, at all in there, I think I think we covered that pretty well last week. Our feelings right. on that, absolutely, absolutely. The last the last thing I'll say so about that. If you that, don't know, it, boys and girls, what our feelings were, 
you can go back and listen to our last episode if you didn't hear it. That's right. Yeah, the listen to the bonus episode too, where we talk about the all-in sellout. Um, the last thing I will say to that, though, just to kind of you know put a button on that is especially kind of jumping off the fact that they didn't need WWE talent, but now they might have a couple of you know, is that they didn't need Daniel Bryan, they didn't need CM Punk. They didn't need the revival or anyone else, and I think that that's remarkable. And we're so excited that we're going to be there. We'll be there on Podcast Row. So if you're going to be at All In, please stop by, say hello to us. We'll be there Friday, August thirty first, from ten a.m. till midnight. Uh, we'll be there. It's going to be a gonna long We're just going to be talking day. and recording. So if you want to stop right. by, there's a very good chance we might say, "Hey, sit down and let us." What do you think about the match coming up at the G One? Oh, whatever. Hell yeah, we you would know? love to do that. I mean, honestly, like you know, as we've said from the very beginning. You know, we just consider ourselves fans, and to be able to sit down and have dialogue with another fan, like we would love that. So please feel free to stop by. Yeah, hop we don't on, want people to just we'll stop by and listen to us talk. We want to, if you stop by our booth, jump up. What's here? Your, I'm sure we'll have like a question on going all day. We're going to be asking people's opinion on. We'll give you a mic, give you a minute or two. Let's hear your feelings on it. Yeah. So that's you know. And there's just so much cool stuff that's going to be happening there. And even though it's not strictly New Japan related, I think that there's just so many like cool events that if you're a wrestling yeah. fan, you're not going to want to miss. We're not going to go into them, but I will say this. The other night, we both geeked out big time. We both marked. Yeah. Um, and uh, we didn't discuss it, but we both kind of went nuts because Magnum TA is going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude! I want to I want to meet Magnum Ta like in the worst way. I know, right? Me too. I, I, Me too. I popped for that big time when I saw it, and you know, I mean, there's so many great people on that are going to be there, and I want to meet them all. Yeah. But for some reason, like I would love to meet, and, and even if we just get to don't get necessarily to interview him, I would just love to meet Magnum Ta for sure. I have so many questions. Like I think him and, and Terry Funk are the two that I'm like yep. excited about the most. Same here. Yeah, I am. I'm right there with you, man. We're dating um, ourselves here a little bit. So, too, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, you want to know? Before I say anything else, I had a really one of those like I felt really old moments today. Yeah, watching New Japan Wrestling. Um, I'm watching the the second night of the G1, and I'm watching um, the match with uh, Taguchi. Yeah, and I'm talking to my son i'm like yeah he's a veteran he's been around forever and he's like if you look at him compared to some of his older videos he's put on a little weight a little punch around the the belt yeah and he doesn't i mean he still moves great but he's not quite as quick and everything and i was telling my son about how old he was and then when i looked him up on youtube i realized i'm a year older than taguchi (laughs) i had one of those like like one of those moments where i'm like oh yeah i watch will osprey and them i know i'm older than them they're like kids right but like taguchi just seems so much older that like you know, it made me feel really old. It really did. I was bummed out completely about it, too. Oh, man. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, oh, and you know what? One more thing, too. Before we get to the next piece of business, I am, like, the world's worst host because I do no prep work for this. I let you do it. <laughs> I just get on the mic and talk. Um, and I should have done this at the beginning of the episode. I just wanted to thank... We're, we're like, two months in now, and yeah. um, I haven't mentioned it since the first episode. We are able to... The, the music you hear in the intro is by a, a, a young band that I am really, really like called The Hales. And um, that's H-A-I-L-S. They're on iTunes. They're on Facebook. And um, I actually, the, one of the band members, I became Facebook friends with his father because we're both in a group about um, vinyl records. And he had liked a lot of the post or we had very similar taste in music. So I had, you know, I'm not friends with them in real life, just Facebook friends. But uh, he turned me on to his son's music and I reached out to him over Thanksgiving. They allow us to use the, the music on our podcast. 
So we're very grateful for that. And but you know, you're only getting like a 20 second clip, but it's really good music. You should check them out. They're on iTunes. Um, if you go to Facebook, you can look for them. It's they're uh, www.facebook.com backslash the Hales official backslash. Yeah. You know, I should mention that more often. They've just been they've been so nice to let us use it for free. And if you listen to it, they have like an, an EP on there. It's like five songs on iTunes. It's really, really good. Um, and, you know, for a local band, like they're, they're, I think they're from Florida. They're playing some events in New York City nice. this summer and everything. So, they're you know, they're getting some exposure. So if you like music, you know, give it a listen. Even if you just go, I think they're on, you know, YouTube. And, and if you don't want to check out the whole album, but. We, we just want to thank them. Yeah, and hey, at ninety nine cents a song, you know, just yeah, just, I'm just telling go buy you, a song. it's well, it's well <laughs> worth it. Yeah, do if you like our podcast, do us a favor, at least buy one, a song to help them out. Like I said, and when I asked if we could use the music, it was an. I asked the father if he could reach out to his son, and because it was Thanksgiving, he said, "Hold on, I'm sitting right next to him." <laughs> and I mean, he literally texted back in ten seconds. He said, "Go for it, use whatever you want. Good luck with the podcast." You know, like there was no hesitation, no haggling or anything just hey go ahead that's so awesome we appreciate that yeah i mean yeah we good do. for them good for us so and i should have said at the top of the episode but i haven't mentioned that in a couple episodes so i just wanted to no no hey no worries man i mean i, I should have uh, brought it up as well because we even talked about it before we started um but moving along yeah, you know we get so excited when we get into the wrestling stories and we get so fo- like focused on them that we kind of forget the other stuff yeah, and well, and you know what? It'll be in the show notes as well. I'm going to put some links on there so you'll be able to link yeah. to the music. And again, if you're at all in, who knows? We might have a couple of CDs on us or something. So Yeah, who knows? I'm going to see if they have anything they want to hand out. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're the official music of the King of Pro Wrestling podcast right now. So Indeed. So thank you very much to the Hales. Um, and, uh, I, you know, one of the things that I loved when I was doing some of the editing is, like, figuring out, it's like, all right, where, you know, where does this go? And when do I when do I drop out? When do we, you know, when do we peak with the music? When do I bring it back in for the outro? And, uh, yeah, it's a good tune, and it's perfect for what we do. So, you know, we're very appreciative. Um that said, uh, from sort of one legal case to the next legal case, um, I think is is worth noting that um, unfortunately we do have a piece of sort of bad news coming out of Japan. Uh, that is that uh, Ayoka Hamada was arrested for um, uh, possession of stimulants. It was and it was meth. Um, I, I think that they were fairly nice to her in the press, but, uh, but we know that it, she was indeed arrested with meth and that. Yeah. I had to look wave, it up because the way they, they reported it, they called it by the Japanese name. I don't even want to pronounce, try to pronounce it. It says the Japanese name or stimulant drugs. Like they never used meth. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, they were definitely nice to her in that regard. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that, that while it's not, New Japan related. We've we've covered women's wrestling and Joshi wrestling is something that I love as well. So I, it was just worth noting real quick that unfortunately she seems to be going through a rough patch, and uh, it, it does seem to be that it's kind of come out of nowhere. Um, from from all that I've read about her prior to this, this was not necessarily like her mo. Um, but anyway, she was arrested. Pro Wrestling Wave, who she was a contracted performer and their champion, uh, she returned the belt and was let go. Um, 
so so she's without a job right now. But uh, there have been some weird goings on, some reporting of of her sending odd text messages, including one about being held at knife point by four men, and uh, just a, a lot of confusing stuff, and, and still no definitive answers other than the fact that she was arrested for possession of meth, and uh, in, in Japan, that's. You know, yeah, they, Japan's got some tough drug laws. Yeah, they, that's not a country where you want to mess around with that stuff. Just ask you know? Matt Seidel. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, you so, know, and like it seems like like in the Western world, we're becoming a little bit more relaxed on some of this stuff, sure. especially marijuana and stuff. But uh, Japan's not the kind of place you want to do that. And I guess too, like they had to get called over to her house. She was rambling incoherently. Yeah. So you know, hey, listen, I don't want to see anybody whether I know them or not, in, in a bad spot with that. You never know. Like, sometimes people, they're not, maybe she has a drug problem, maybe she doesn't, and she just did something and it had a bad effect. I don't know, but it it sucks for her because she she did get fired, correct? They, they contra- uh, waived terminated yeah. her contract. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it is too bad because she's very talented. I mean, she's been a champion. Uh, hell, she was a champion in TNA. She's worked uh, a lot in Mexico. She's she's obviously worked a lot in Japan. She's worked for Shimmer here in Chicago. And so, you know, I, I'm really hoping that everything turns out for the best on this one. Um, you know, there's every likelihood that, that she will literally never work in Japan again. I mean, that's how, that's literally how they view the, the, the situation with the drugs, that, that she may never be able to work in Japan again. Um, Let's hope I, that's not the case. You know, like, yeah. I'm not trying to, and I'm not making this a social commentary on any country's drug laws or how they, they handle it after the fact. But, you know, like, if she had a problem, if she's able to get help, it would it would seem to me unfair that she would never be able to work yeah. in the profession again in Japan. But, I mean, maybe that's why they have less of a drug problem than other countries. I don't know. But uh, let's, let's just hope everything works out the best for her. She's talented, you know. And besides that, you just don't want to see anybody suffer through situations like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of people that, uh, you know, a month or so ago we were wondering, like, when and if they were ever going to work again, uh, Kitamura has been in the news again a little bit here, uh, tweeting about his, his return. And then, it, really interesting, and, you know, it may have been, uh, he may have just been being uh, a little nice. I don't want to use the word kayfabe because I don't think that that applies in this situation. But Kevin Kelly even responded to a tweet uh, just today about Kitamura saying that he was out, you know, for concussion-related injuries, neurological issues, uh, and that he was getting himself right and that he would be back as soon as he was. Which, again, I, I don't I don't want to necessarily take as him playing a storyline or anything like that. I also don't want to take it as being fact yet either because we've, it's been such a murky issue. Um, but that said, what do you think? I I don't know. Um, the fact that somebody in new Japan has even responded about a tweet about it. Yeah. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe he really is just in concussion protocol. Yeah. Maybe, Maybe that was the truth all along. Maybe it's not. But the fact that he's tweeting out that he's going to make a return. And if you look at Kevin Kelly's tweet, because what happened was, I believe it was a fan yep. uh, sent a tweet to him and asked him, do you know where Kiyomura is? He seems to have van- vanished. And Kevin Kelly put inactive right now due to neurological issues, concussion related. He'll return to wrestling when he's right. Now, two things to take away from that. It says inactive now, not yep. forever. But it also says he'll return to wrestling, not he'll return to New Japan Pro Wrestling when he's right. So 
I don't know what to make of it other than he was trying to just be as honest as he can about a, a situation. Right. Um, I, the fact that they're even mentioned the fact that it returned, whether it's at New Japan or somewhere else, that, that good. I would like to see the guy come back. I mean, I hope he comes back in New Japan. Yeah. You know, I was I'm a I was a fan of his. Um, he had he's completely different from all the other young lions because of his size and everything. And it set him apart. And it's like such an advantage that when he was like if he was going to go on excursion and come back, he already looked so much different than the rest of them. He was set apart. Without so and you knew the company was pushing him because he was what he was almost done. He was doing that seven match showcase series. Like they were featuring them and he was getting seven singles matches, which is like unheard of. Yeah. At that point for the young lions to get them in a row like that. So and he was getting them against non young lions. I mean, exactly. Right. Normally when a young lion gets a solo match, a singles match, it's against another young lion or and it's, you know, so who knows? I I hope he comes back. I hope even if it is a concussion issue, even if he doesn't come back, I hope it doesn't have any kind of long term implications or health like factors for him. I agree. Wants to see that, and you know, I, I just let's just hope he comes back. Let's put it that. Yeah, yeah. No, no I completely agree with you. Um, so next up, I thought this was really cool. Uh, well, yeah. Well, before we say that, uh, um, your pick to win the best of the Super Juniors was oh, who did you Hir- pick? Hiromu Takahashi. Well, that's funny because guess who else picked Hiromu Takahashi <laughs> to win? Uh, I believe it was Hiroshi Tanahashi. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, it's, it's really cool. Um, in the news section on New Japan Pro Wrestling, they actually did a um, an interview with Tanahashi about Best of the Super Juniors, and his pick was indeed uh, Hiromu. And uh, he talked about even um, a couple of individual matches, which, you know, he was sort of like, hey, these are matches to watch. Um, and uh, just going over them real quick, we're not going to talk in depth or anything, but he mentioned Will Ospreay versus ACH on May 20th. He mentioned Sho versus Hiromu Takahashi on June 2nd. Uh, El Desperado, uh, Desperado, excuse me, versus Takahashi on May 22nd. Taguchi versus Skrull on June 2nd. Um, I thought those were interesting choices. You know, I, I think that for me, just looking at that, Osprey and ACH, like, yeah, I'm in on that, man. I want to see that match so bad. The Sho and Takahashi match, again, like, we'll talk more about Sho later, but, like, that's totally a match I want to see now. Well, that's the beauty of this tournament. There's so many matches that I want to see. I mean, mm-hmm. realistically, I want to see all of them. But totally, and and I'm going to watch all of them. But like everybody, if you were to, you could ask ten different people to look through this and pick out the match you can't wait for, and you're going to get ten different answers. Like I'm really, really looking forward to the match on the 30th of Hiromu versus Chris Sabin. Oh hell yeah! Especially you know, after oh god, I mean, I can't wait to talk about Chris Sabin later. I'm, I'm really yeah, looking forward to that. But you could you could say to somebody. Like I, I can look and say, well, out of all the matches, the one I'm looking forward to the least is Bushi versus ACH. And the next person can say, oh, I can't wait to see Bushi versus ACH. Right. Like, and that's the beauty of this tournament, especially, I mean, in a tournament setting, it's great because you never know who's going to win the matches. As we're two days in uh, at the time of this recording, and we've already learned not to take anything for granted who's going to win. But yeah, no there's, there's something, I mean, there's not a bad match in this tournament. Because, I mean, if you really look at it, who who, like... Especially the B block, I want to see every one of those guys wrestle. Yeah. In the A block, the only one that's like I'm so so on going in was Tiger Mask, and he had a great match to start. Yeah. 
like a, we had a really good match, I should say. But I, you know, there's not a bad match in this whole tournament, and that's the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah, and I just thought it was it's really so cool deep. to have Tanahashi, you know, kind of give his two cents because even you know, even with the loss to Okada, I mean, clearly a lot of fans look at him as being, you know, the figurehead uh, uh, as far as wrestlers go, and 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 I think that you know having him sort of speak about the tournament. Um, it, it, it help it raises the profile because I do think that there are there are Japanese fans there are international fans that look at the juniors as being less than and I think by having tanahashi you know someone could argue that by by feeling the need to have tanahashi give his two cents makes you know enhances that feeling of less than but I think the counter argument of this is well yeah but at the same time when you have the ace go out there and say hey this is what I feel about this tournament it, it helps to raise the profile and I that's what it did for me because of the way he talked about it. So I would encourage people to go look at the interview. I I would think, and this is just me, if they're smart, they, every two or three days during this tournament, they should put an an interview up like this about it with a a different heavyweight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they had Tanahashi, maybe tomorrow put up an interview, they interviewed Kenny or uh, Okada or Naito or somebody, just to make it seem, like you said, I don't think they need it. But if, if you get the feeling that these guys on the heavyweight side are, are invested in watching this and they're entertained by it, it just adds to it. For sure. And um, like you said, some people look at it as less than. I look at the juniors, and I think in a lot of ways that's what separates New Japan from other wrestling companies, how great their junior division is. Yeah, totally. I completely agree. And I, yeah, I, 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 I think You see that's... some of the best wrestling in the world in the, in the junior division Absolutely. in New Japan. And I don't think it's less than. The only thing that's less than is their weight. That's it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and speaking of which, before we get in, because we're going to talk about the Super Juniors later, did you watch the press conference? I watched part of it. I didn't get to see oh, all God. of it. Oh, I, God. I, it it's a little bit of a hard watch because it's not in English. It wasn't subtitled. Yeah. So you kind of had to feel your way through. You could get the gist of what some of them were trying to get across. But when the English speakers were, were speaking, it was great. But how funny was Marty Skrull? Oh, my God. That that is one of the parts I watched. Yeah, that was hilarious. When he comes in. Well, Will Osprey like reading the supposed text he got was great, and then he comes busting in. <laughs> yeah, it was well, just hilarious. It was no, it was, and that's actually something that I want to talk a little bit about. We'll, we'll so we'll get there in just a second. But before that, there are a couple of quick uh, uh, news and notes that I wanted to cover. One, and I thought that this was really cool to see because you know, obviously, if you're a North American wrestling fan, you hear a lot about WWE and Make a Wish and that sort of thing. But uh, on May 10th. Um, Shota Umino and Rin Narita visited the National Center for Child Health and Development in Tokyo uh, and they went to the NICU, the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit for Newborns um, and that apparently the experience of seeing new life before their eyes and talking to hospital staff really seemed to move uh, both of the, the young wrestlers and uh, I just thought that that was really cool They then they went on and they, they actually visited another wing of the hospital um, with uh, some you know some children a little bit older uh, and and, and I just thought that, that was a really cool thing for them to do. And I think that it, it just kind of goes hand in hand with the um, the entire Young Lion experience. They're you know they're getting yeah. exposed to all sorts of things. So I, I just thought it was worth noting. And, and let me just tell you, as somebody who had a child that was in the NICU when she was born, and now knock on wood, everything worked out for the best. But how scary that is! Mm-hmm. There's some stuff in there that'll open your eyes. So for two guys to go there, it, it have a way of putting things in perspective for you. Yeah. You know, when you see see some of the things you see, especially in a children's hospital, you know it's it's so good for them for doing it, and I'm sure it was it was an eye opening experience for them. So 
you know. Yeah. Anytime, let's face it, as fans of professional wrestling, whether it be here or abroad, anytime people that are in the profession that we love can reach out and do something positive in the community, it's it's good for wrestling as a whole. Without a doubt. Without you know, a doubt. That's why I always tell people, if they ask me about WWE, that I'm not a fan of John Cena the wrestler, but I'm a fan of John Cena the human being because he's done so much with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So, you know, you have to separate the two. But any, like you said, any, you know, anytime they can do something positive, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, so we mentioned this last time around, but just to give a little bit more detailed information, from June 29th to July 1st at the Daytona Beach Ocean Center in Florida, um, they will be hosting the best fighting game players for the CEO Fighting Game Championships. Uh, piggybacking on the event will be on the very first night, June 29th, uh, the New Japan Pro Wrestling Win Worlds Collide event, uh, which Kenny Omega is, is basically um, promoting from the sounds of it. But, I mean, he's the one that's kind of put the whole thing together. Uh, and, and so, you know, there'll be uh, Kenny will be there. Obviously, some New Japan wrestlers will be there. It'll be a really cool event in Daytona Yeah, a little Beach. interesting side note. It's taking place at the Ocean Center mm-hmm. in Daytona Beach. What big wrestling event took place in that very building, Sam? Oh, no. Now I'm going to totally be stumped. Daytona oh, it came to me real simple. Ocean the Center. Ocean Center, Daytona Beach, Florida. And I'll give you a hint. It was 1996. Was it Bash at the Beach? Yes, it was. Wow. Wow. The 1996 Bash at the Beach, which anybody who doesn't know, that's when Hogan turned and the NWO was formed. Yeah. It happened in that building. It happened at the Ocean Center, July 7th, 1996 in Daytona Beach, Florida. That's classic. Just, just a little reference, the historical reference, but that's <laughs> the same place where they're going to be. Um, another cool piece of news involving Kenny Omega is that he was recently featured in a Sports Illustrated interview, and he actually said, I'm going to just read this quote, I, as Kenny Omega, the character and the person, realize I am not the person who is rightfully in line for this title shot. The reason I've got this opportunity is that Okada has made his rounds and defeated everyone, sometimes twice over, but he's realized there is a blemish in his record. That's the draw from last year's Dominion, and I also beat him in the G1. You can make the excuse that he was beaten up, bloodied, and fatigued from the schedule of the G1, but then so was I. So he has no excuse. I wrestled all of the same opponents. We were in the same block. I, You know, I mean, first of all, I, again, the fact that Sports Illustrated is covering New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, and, and talking to Kenny Omega, and they even did a piece with uh, Naito as well, um, is just proof positive of the, the exposure um, uh, of the product. But second of all, I, I just think that this is a great way for someone who might be a more casual fan. Like, it's perfect. Like, it's just the perfect bite of information to say, this is why I get this match. This is what I've done before. And it creates some drama. And I, I, I don't know. I thought it was really cool. What do you think? Oh, I agree because it, you don't have, there's not a lot of explanation needed as to why Kenny's getting the title shot. Right. Okada went through in the ring, listed everybody and said to him, but there's a draw in there. Like there's that one blemish that he wants to, to take care of and he's beating everybody else. And it's the easiest. I mean, is there ever been an easier reason to book a match? <laughs> yeah. People are just like, okay, we're on board. Right. Yeah. Like, no build up or anything because you know you're going to get a great match and like he said he beat him at the G1 but he didn't even mention that Okada wanted to rectify the the, the draw that he had when he was naming the 12 title defenses yeah because he's 11 wins no losses and a draw so but like you said it, it, it explains everything in one paragraph 
Right. Paragraph, not graft, paragraph. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, so I thought it was really cool. Uh, and you speak- know what else is cool? What's that? Speaking of Sports Illustrated getting involved in doing things on wrestling, Are you what, what other I think you're major say? promotion, <laughs> yeah, what other major news outlet, sports news outlet is all of a sudden putting pieces on their website about wrestling? Would that be ESPN? The worldwide leader in sports and entertainment? Yes, it would. Beautiful. And who did they talk to? They had a very nice article about Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, and I love the, the article, name of it is, Yeah, Zack Sabre Jr. is exactly where he wants to be in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, it's it's really well done. It's not super long, but it's um, it's a great... I mean, it, there's there's points in there where he talks about why he... like. Um, I, don't, I can't remember off the top of my head. Is this where he talked about when he went to WWE for the Cruiserweight Classic? Yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. Actually, here's the, the the quote, too. He put, think, uh, I think people might presume that because I'm not with the WWE now that my experience was negative with them. Uh, far from it. It was very positive. But I've envisioned how my career would go as a kid, and it didn't involve WWE. Yeah. Having the taste of it, even though it was very, very enjoyable, and I think I would learn a lot from the environment, I really think the pre- presentation of indie wrestling, and New Japan in particular, that's best suited for me, perhaps one day. And that pretty much sums that up. Yeah, and I, I mean, loved that's it. Great. I'm, gr- I'm great to see, too, that he talks so openly about doing it for WWE and what a positive experience it was. Like, you know what I mean? Which is good. But well, it also, like, that he's not, he's happy where he is. He likes where he's at. And one of the things that I loved about it, and, and I feel like with the Sports Illustrated articles, it's not always the case, honestly, even with the Naito stuff and even with the Omega stuff. And ESPN has certainly, with some of the WWE things that they've done, you know, kind of played into the kayfabe aspect of it or whatever. But this article just felt so incredibly respectful for the fact that we don't care that the results are predetermined. We're recognizing that this guy is an athlete and we're treating him as an athlete and we're asking him questions as an athlete. And I, I don't know, there was just something really about the tone of the article and the interview that felt so legit. It, it just, it kind of, it, I don't know, it drove home the fact that just because there's this heightened reality to professional wrestling and just because you know the the matches are predetermined doesn't mean that you can't treat you know the the performers as athletes and you can't treat them as subjects who deserve to talk you know frankly about what it is that they do without there being that element of sort of like oh give me the insight like do a shoot interview for me you know what i mean instead it's just like how do you feel about that and and that also i think speaks a lot to Zack Sabre Jr. and the way that he presents himself as well. Um, so it's definitely worth reading. Yeah, I have two two small takeaways from this. Is, you know, the way, like, first of all, good for ESPN that they, they did an article like this. And, you know, it's nice that anytime they put something on there about professional wrestling that's not in a negative tone. You know what I mean? Yes. It wasn't, there's not one thing in here that if you read this, there's not one quote or line that would make you mad as a, as a professional wrestling fan. The way they did this. And two, like, which is good, but like, you know, you're going to have people that are going to, if you look at the comment section, why are we talking about something that's not real? Or they'll put like, you guys know this shit's fake, right? I always say to people, yes, I know it's predetermined. I also know that Saving Private Ryan wasn't real World War II footage, (laughs) but they still gave awards to that for that at the Academy Awards. Yeah. So there's no reason why I can sit down and, and watch wrestling, enjoy it for what it is, enjoy the talent. Like you know, realize who the best in the world are at their at their craft, and it's nice that ESPN presented it in that way. Absolutely, you know what I mean. Like 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 you said, it, legit. Even if it doesn't present like talk about the wrestling being a legit contest, 
it never it never dwells on that. It talks more about what it takes, what his career is like, where he wants to be. But they 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 openly talk about some of his title defenses. Um, yeah. that he won. And so it was, it was really well done. Like if you didn't, if I just put the article up in a vacuum, you would never in a million years think it's an ESPN article. Right. Right. So that's good. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, so what do you think? Should we, should we cover, I mean, it's been a week gone by, so people probably already know. Should we, should we talk about War of the Worlds in Chicago for Ring of Honor and just talk about the, the New Japan related stuff real quick? Yeah, we can just go, blow, go through it real quick because there wasn't a lot. I mean, no, if I, I say that like in a negative. It, it, I'm sure they were great shows right. and the fans enjoyed them and everything. But there, there's as far as like what we cover in storylines or progression into the next, there wasn't a whole lot no. that happened. But um, they like felt the biggest very much based on that, what I was reading because I, you know, I didn't get yeah. to see all the shows yet or anything. But based on what I was reading, they felt very much. And this is not a knock, so Ring of Honor fans don't hate me, but they felt very much like Ring of Honor shows with New Japan yeah. wrestlers on them, whereas in the past when they've had some of these shows, they've felt like Ring of Honor New Japan shows, like co-shows, and this definitely did not feel like Yeah, that. I don't think it had the same feel even as, like, the Honor Rising shows. No. Like, the Honor Rising shows are New Japan shows that are put on in Japan. Yeah. The Corican Hall, but they felt more like a collaboration. Um, you know, like you said, these, from what I read and what little clips I saw, um, did seem like they were Ring of Honor shows that just had some Japanese talent booked. Yeah. But, uh, you know, though it's always a positive because it's, it's a way for North American fans to see some of these Japanese wrestlers. Totally. That they might not always get a chance. So, I mean, the biggest takeaway for me was just the fact that we were, and we talked about it last episode, was that Jay Lethal got hurt, but apparently now he's wrestling, so he's okay. Yeah. Because they had pulled him out of the match and replaced a uh, tag match and replaced him with Sonata. Right. So that but was from, the biggest, my biggest concern, but he seems to be okay now. But from what I'd read, it was concussion. They were worried about a concussion, but I guess he, he, he turned out to be fine. So, you know, good yeah, for him. Yeah, they held him out more for a precaution until they could determine that he was. So that's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But other than that, there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, just like I said, American crowds got to see Jushin Thunder Liger, got to see Sho and Yo. Yep. Um, you know, you had the Bullet Club stuff. Uh, the, the big headline on this tour was that all of LIJ was there. Yeah. Which, speaking of Lij, uh, one of the funniest things that came out of the whole tour is that Hiromu had Daryl Junior with him. Yeah, Daryl's back from excursion. Yeah, and 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 so he's wearing a mask now, like a lucha mask. And uh, apparently, there was uh, an unmasking at one point, and uh, there was much to do about this. And Hiromu was very upset and had to get that mask back so that he could put it back on Daryl. And Daryl ends up is sitting in really- commentary. So. Uh, Inside the ring and out, is there really anybody in the world right now that's at least, like, I'm sure there's some that are better, but there's nobody more entertaining to me than Hiromu. Oh, God, I agree. Like, I agree. Everything he does, his in-ring work, the stuff he even does during a match outside the ring or just the way he acts. Yeah, you know? yes. Like, even like we were talking about before, the press conference, everybody yep. came in in these nice suits and, and everything. Hiromu came in looking like something that a rainbow puked up, and he had the big <laughs> book with him. Yeah. It was hilarious. He stayed in character the whole time, but his character's so unique and cool that, you know, like, you don't know what you're getting. Uh, just, I could watch that guy do anything at this point. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, so, moving moving along here, uh, Okada apparently recently in a Tokyo sports interview said, uh, I don't have the full interview, uh, but he did remark that the stipulations at the match at Dominion benefit him. What do you think of that? Well... I don't know. Um, I don't know. Because <laughs> do they really benefit anybody 
in, in the storyline. Like, you have the two best in the world, so... Right. You know, I don't know if the, the no time limit... I think that, actually, the no time limit, by theory, would benefit Kenny, because he can't... He can't get a draw and not win the title. Right. In order for him to not win the title, Okada has to beat him. Yeah. It takes the, the, some, the champion's advantage out of him. But the two out of three falls, I... I don't see how it benefits, other than the time limit draw being eliminated, how there's a benefit to either one of them. Yeah. No, I know. Well, it's interesting because I think that what it, what it, what it plays into, and it's what we saw in the match with Tanahashi, is how cocky Okada is getting. With good reason, let's face it. But there well, he's was... the best wrestler on the planet, like, you know, by most people's. Uh, and even people that don't, maybe they don't say he's the best. He's in the top two or three. Right, right. But there's that arrogance and that, that he's carrying into the ring with him. And uh, I think that the say, you know, making a statement like that clearly plays off of that. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see kind of what happens and how he presents himself and, you know, what he brings into the ring that night at Dominion. So, I mean, I'm, ah, God, man, I'm, I'm stoked for that match. I so am. I, but. You know, all that said, uh, we're not the only ones because Dominion is sold out. Yeah. Um, I saw that they put that it was sold out. There was just some standing room only seats. Mm -hmm. And now now I believe there's not even that available. I think it's completely sold out at this point. So crazy. So crazy. Well, that's great, you know. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, So uh, moving right along, though, another thing that was interesting in an interview is that Daisuke Sekimoto, uh, who was on the Lionsgate Project show, uh, also remarked that he beat Okada in 2010. And he would yeah. love to have the chance to face him again, uh, which I thought was really cool. Uh, who knows if anything will come of it? But uh, I mean, it's certainly a match that I, I would not mind watching at all. No, I had never seen Daisuke Sakamoto wrestle before. I had heard about him. I shouldn't say I saw clips of him wrestling. I never saw a full match. I was. We'll talk about that when we review the whole thing. But I was impressed with him for sure. Just his look is is everything about him. You know what I mean? So. Um, and then he did talk about how he be he's a big Japan guy. Yeah, and that's his priority. But he would be open to taking bookings for New yes. Japan if his schedule permitted. And anytime you know, especially on these lion, young lions, uh, the Lion Gate Project shows, they're perfect setting to book people like that to start and see where it goes. But without a doubt, you know, yeah. So I was that was really you know. I was impressed with him, and like you said, he beat Okada in 2010. It's not like he's saying it like he deserves a title shot. He just said right. that he would. He didn't make it like I beat. He just basically said he beat Okada in 2010. He'd love to face him again. Right, just to see what happens. But if you're who what wrestler on the planet theoretically wouldn't love to, to face Okada? He's you know the measuring stick for sure, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so we also had two other interviews that we'll just mention briefly is that, uh, Ishimori gave an interview on new Japan pro wrestling, uh, com, or well, NJPW1972.com. Uh, and I thought it was a cool interview, very much the sort of like cool heel kind of, I uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I belong in bullet club because bullet club's the best thing going. And I'm, you know, I'm going to show everyone how great I am. And, you know, all these people don't mean anything to me. And I, I mean, it was just, it was, it was the perfect little, you know, interview yeah, to sort of like, encapsulate the, where he's going. They asked him why he chose the bullet club. He's like the bullet club's the most famous group going. He can be in Japan and still have his name go worldwide. Yeah. Um, he can, what do you say? I can pick fights with anybody in the junior division except Marty. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Yeah. I thought that was great. Something like, so, um, you know, it's just, it's really well done. Like, it's just a nice interview. Like I said, it's nothing too, too long, but you, you can read it. We'll put a link if, if in the show notes, but uh, it was on New Japan Pro Wrestling website. It just 
It's a good little interview. Yeah, yeah. Without that's a doubt. all I could say. I mean, it was it's entertaining to read. It gives a little bit of, you know, because I don't think he's done anything in English yet. Like he, the only thing I can think of is he did um, after he attacked Osprey at Wrestling Dantaku, the post match part in the back is now subtitled. Yeah. But other than that, that's the this is the only other English you're going to get from him right now. Yeah. So, take it. Um, and then we also had a, uh, a Naito uh, interview in Sports Illustrated. Uh, I thought it was uh, it was great. You know, he basically it's funny because the interviewer it asked a couple of questions that just made me think like, okay, they don't really follow the product, or if they do, they've just recently started following the product. Uh, yeah. Because they asked a question, for instance, about like the Intercontinental Title. And and Naito, you know, had to reinforce the fact that the title means nothing to him, that he's held it before, that, you know, and, and but the way that the question was asked, it almost made yeah. it sound like, oh, this is your first championship win or something like that. I, I didn't get like, a chance uh, to read it, but I did see somebody comment on it that it felt like they gave the assignment to a reporter who never watched the, re- the show and tried to, like, cram everything in. Yeah. Like, let me, let me find out as much as I can about New Japan pro wrestling since January. Yep. That, you know what I mean? And that's definitely what it felt like. And, and you know, there was some good Jericho stuff in there. Uh, and Naito, you, you know, he, he did say one thing that I thought was really cool about how he did. He he didn't dismiss the fact that wrestling Chris Jericho might bring him more exposure, but that he doesn't need Chris Jericho, that he doesn't care about Chris Jericho. That, you know, it was very much a Naito kind of interview. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say go out of your way to read it, but if you're a Naito fan, then you've probably already read it. And, and a it was lot worth of the, the sentiment, too, is pretty similar to if you watch the, uh, the YouTube backstage segment when he's covered in blood and he's talking about Jericho. Yeah. It's a lot of the same thing. He's like, you know, I don't even really follow him. I know he's a big star, but... You know, apparently, how, basically saying, like, how how important am I that I'm all he can think about? Right. He's like, uh, I give him credit. He jumped me. 100 points to him. Great, good, you know. But, you know, it's it's a very Naito kind of thing. Yeah. Like, the yeah. interview is it, completely, it's what you'd expect. Like, that's what makes Naito Naito and makes him so cool. Right. And he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's talk some some actual wrestling here. Let's get to Lionsgate Project. Uh, it was a sellout of four hundred and nineteen, um, and we had uh, we had some some pretty good matches on this card. Actually, I thought we opened yeah, up with um, the uh, time limit draw between Suji and Duomura. I I enjoyed the Lionsgate show a lot. Let me just tell you right out of the shoot. Yeah. Um, I normally do enjoy them, but I really enjoyed this. And it was part of it, too, was the setting. Like, I got home from work, and it was a lousy day out. It was it was cool, and it was raining. I had the windows open. It was just a nice breeze blowing in. I was all by myself. It was like the perfect atmosphere to watch the show. Nice. So I was already in a good mood. But, um, yeah, it started out with Suji and Umanyora trying to get, um, and they went to the time limit draw, like you just said, which was a really interesting match. And the way they got there, like he was the, the, the trying to tap him out before the bell and then yeah. he reversed it. It was just a good match. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, for um, sure. The second match, what do we got in the second match? We had Nakanishi, Nakanishi versus Oka. my favorite young lion, Tomoyoki Oka. Um, this was a good match. You oh, know, yeah. You, you, I knew Oka was going to lose, and you knew he was going to wind up tapping out to the backbreaker, but I thought Oka did a great job because, you know, no offense, Nakanishi it looks like he is a mess. Like, he can, he's so slow yeah. and lumbering. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Like, he still, he can still do what he does, 
but it's I just thought Oka worked a really good match. Like they they played to Nakanishi's strengths and eliminated. They they stayed away from anything that would be a weakness. Yeah, it definitely felt like Oka was working around Nakanishi a lot, as opposed to sort of like working with Nakanishi. And that's a you know again I don't want to I don't want that to be a, a complete knock because I do feel like there's the element of um, uh, uh, you know Nakanishi was never. A quick guy, really. So no, but he's getting know. older, and he's he's not. You know, I mean, he's yeah. even slower than he was. Right, exactly. You know, which is why when you see him on main cards, it's always in multi man tags. But I so would certainly, can, I would certainly argue that he was not nearly the most beat up performer on this card. No, we're gonna get to that in the next match. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we should mention that Nakanishi did indeed uh, go over with the Argentine backbreaker in nine minutes and four seconds. Yeah. Now, speaking of people that were banged up, Oof. and you could pick both of them on this tag team, but Hiro Saito yeah. and uh, Hiro Yoshi Tenzan took on Taguchi and Ren Narita. Yeah. Um, Saito looks like he is so old. I, I hate saying it like that. And Tenzan's so beat up. Yeah. So, But they still managed to work a pretty good match. Like when Saito got in there and was doing his little senton thing. Yeah. Or, or or whatever he was doing. Um, and they were talking about that in the post, and he wished he did the senton more and everything. But, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, Saito just looks like he's so old, though, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he does. And I don't, I don't think he's as old as you think he is when you look at him, but he's definitely old by wrestling standards. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a really good question. I, I, I don't I'm know off the top of right my head. Now. But, okay, yeah, because I, I feel I like knew that we're it is worth us. Yeah, uh, I guess. Like I look at when I, he's fifty six. Okay, but when I look at him, he looks like a sixty year old man. Yeah, yeah. Which you I know, guess in, in one way is kind of a testament to the fact that like clearly he hasn't been too hard on himself because I mean you know Ric Flair towards the end of his career, God love him, it would, like looked like he was seventy. You know, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> just you know what the problem here with this match was, and, and I don't mean it was a problem. It was still entertaining, and it was it was what it was. Yeah, because it, it was only twelve minutes, and it, let's face it, the match it was there to basically showcase some some moments for Ren Narita. Yep. But um, like when you watch it, maybe if they'd put him with a tag partner that also wasn't so lumbering and hurt. Yeah, it wasn't like when he made a hot tag or made a tag. It wasn't like the, his partner could come in like a ball of fire either. Right, and that's not a knock on Tenzon. That's just years and years of a wear and tear of caught not caught up to him. Like you watch him walk around the ring, he doesn't even look like he's walking on his feet. It looks like he's walking on the sides of his feet. Yeah. So you know, but it was still entertaining, you know, and um, yeah. So you had Red Narita tapped out to the Anaconda Vice from Tenzon yeah. at twelve minutes and thirteen seconds. Yep, and then we get to our two uh, featured matches, which uh, I love both of these. Yeah, Shota Umino took on Daisuke Sakamoto. The match went 14 minutes, 38 seconds, and it ended when Sakamoto hit um, Umino with the lariat. Yeah. But I just thought it was a really well-done match. Me too, and one of the things that I loved about it is that Sakamoto, like, he wrestled a Young Lion-style match. Like, he didn't yes. bring out, like, any of, like, his big moves. He wrestled like he was a Young Lion, and it was fucking awesome. And it's funny when you watch it, because you could tell the crowd was excited to see him. Yeah. And the funny thing about these, when you watch it, there's no commentary team at all. No. And there's less cameras than normal. Because it's basically just, like, out- a hard cam. Yeah, I mean, the only time they switch is when they have them on the outside of the action. Right. And it's, there, it's almost like two hard cams on the side because it's still from a, a, that perspective. You can tell they just switched to a camera that's to the left or the right. But um, 
with with it being in a small arena and no announce team, you're hearing all the audio. There was a fan that must have been sitting right by the <laughs> microphone. Yeah. Did you hear this guy? Oh yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. He was so excited to see Sakamoto. He was excited for the whole night, but he was popping for Sakamoto. You can hear him chanting the guy's name. Yeah. He was, you know, it's hilarious because I have this feeling. It's like, it was like when you watch like a high school basketball game on local TV. So anybody that's by the camera, you're going to hear them. Yeah. It was the exact same thing. And with no commentary team override it that's all you could fixate on and it was hilarious yes it he was. was in the next match we'll get to the next match in a minute but he was chanting for Yoshida. Yeah. he was totally into the show <laughs> like yeah. all i could th- i'm thinking to myself i don't know who this guy is but nobody in that building is having a better time than this guy right i know i know yeah i saw a couple of people talking about him on twitter too he's like singing along with the theme songs yeah, and, yeah, yeah. it's hilarious it was great it was great. And I loved it. I loved that, that Sekimoto was as over as he was. I felt like that that was just a really cool sign. Um, and, and, and I think it's, you know, stuff like that will be noticed. And, and whether only, or not it, yeah. it, he gets brought back to, like, a main roster show or it's just, you know, he'll be back on the neck line well, project or something. I don't think we've seen the last like, of Sakamoto not? in a New Japan ring. Now, what that entails, we'll find out. The only – and it's not a negative about the match. The only thing that I, that I didn't like is – it, it, there's no way to avoid it. Sakamoto, everybody wanted to see him, and he did a great job. And I think that he—that's all that everybody talked about. And really, if you watch that, I thought Shota had a great match too. Oh, for but sure. It kinda gets, it, but in a lot of ways, it gets lost in the shuffle because the, everybody's—you know what I mean? Yeah, and no, it, it, that I do just agree. Kind of, uh, the, he's a victim of circumstance in this match, just because everybody wanted to see Sakamoto. He just come in for this match. He's—he has a unique look, like he, his physical look. The crowd was popped to see him. So, like, whoever he was in there with, the, the crowd, and even after, we're going to be talking more about uh, Daisuke Sakamoto. But Umino had a really good showing. And, that you know, I mean, how much longer do you think we're going to see Umino before he goes away? Man, honestly, I don't I don't think I don't much longer. Long. I, you know, no. it's funny because you talk about Oka being your favorite young lion. I think Umino is my favorite young lion. And, and there's something about him that I feel like, um, you know, Kawato, like, he felt maybe a little bit more complete just because of the charisma that he had. But Umino feels so much more like the complete wrestler, the potential to be the complete wrestler. Whereas Oka, and this is not a knock, but no, Oka no. feels... Oka strikes me... I'm a fan of Oka because of his mannerisms and the way he sells stuff and everything. But to me, and this isn't a knock because I'm about to say somebody when I compare him to who's a great wrestler. Yeah. But he reminds me more like of like an Ishii. Yep. That's exactly he, what I was going to say. And that's not a knock. No. But it's where Umino is going to be able to, to wrestle all different kinds of styles and, and, you know, do anything. Where Oka is going to be more of the brawling bruiser type of wrestler. Yeah. Which isn't, there's nothing wrong with that. You just got to find what your style is and, and work from there. Yeah. But I know what you mean. If you look at all the Young Lions right now and say, who do you think is the most complete right now? It's probably Umino. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, but Oka, I think, is, is pretty good at what he does. And um, I, but in the ring, I don't think his in-ring work is quite as where Umino's are, his abilities. He's a little bit more one-dimensional, but he's good at that one dimension. Totally. No, I agree. I completely agree with that. Um, and I know that's a cheap comparison because it's so easy to make because they look similar and everything. But that's the kind of wrestler he is right now. Yeah. Like you, you're not going to mistake uh, an Oka match for like Liger. Right. You know what I mean? You right, know right, kind right. of what you're getting. Yeah, totally. But so let's get to the main event. Let's do the it. The main event was I, I like a lot and one of your favorites of all time, Yuji Nagata. Yes. Versus 
Ayoto Yoshida. Yes. Who I thought looked great in this match. Yeah, absolutely. You I know, love you the know fact he wasn't that... going to get the win, but that that didn't matter. No. That really had nothing to do with what we were. And he just came out with such fire and like that. That I mean, the, he continued that strain of not respecting Nagata at all, and it was just sort of like I, you know, I don't care about you or your credentials, and you know, and he really did for I would say the the bulk of the match. He was in control, and he was beating up on Nagata, and then you know Nagata kind of flipped that switch, and it was just sort of like, I don't, I don't care. You don't have to respect me, but I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just really well done. Um, the most telling thing to me is, and they put it up a couple of days later. Did you see the backstage interviews? I did not. Subtitles? I missed it, unfortunately. Uh, I saw them. And most of them, you know, like, they're pretty vanilla. Like, the young lions are going to get in there like, Oka. It's just say, oh, man, like, I was this close. I thought I was going to get a win. I just got to get back to work, you know, work hard. Yeah. You know, you're going to get the, the standard kind of answers. Sakamoto was probably the most interesting going up to the, that point because he talked about, you know, he'd be willing to take bookings or whatever. Um, Yuji Nagata had some really interesting comments on Yoshida. He basically talked about how the kid has all the tools, mm. but he's already 27, I think he is. Yeah. He said... 26 he or said, 27, yeah. Yeah, he basically said, like, if he were allowed to come to New Japan full-time, he could see him being, like, on the level of Okada. Wow. he's uh, that's exa- And he used Okada's name, but basically said, like, but if he wants to get there, the clock's ticking, Taka's got to let him break out. Nice. Because um, he must wrestle for Michinoku Pro. He does, yeah. Yeah, like he basically said, Taka needs to like let the kid loose now on New Japan. He said he's still good and he has holes in his game, but he I actually straight up compared him to Okada. Man, that is high praise, and I gotta say that I don't necessarily, I don't disagree. I, 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 I you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna put him on that level just yet. But and I, and I am paraphrasing, but that's pretty much the gist of what he said. And I could that see he, that. I could totally see that. I, I don't think that's Nagata just, you know, playing around trying to put somebody over. I think that that's absolutely true because he's got a great look. He's clearly, you know, very athletic. I, I mean, in that tag match at the last, you know, Lionsgate project, yeah. he impressed me so much. And in this match, you know, it was the same deal. He, he was so impressive. And it felt to me, again, that this match... Even though it only went 12 minutes and 47 seconds, in that 12 minutes and 47 seconds, they told a great story. Yoshida, again, he controlled the bulk of it, I would say. And then when it came time for Nagata to, you know, to kick his ass, he he took it and and it looked great. And yeah, yeah, I I, I don't know. That is high praise. But I was surprised in a way, too, that he openly talked about how, like, Taka and Michinuku needs to let him go. Yeah, that is interesting. He, I, I don't know. I can't remember the exact where he said it, but basically saying, yeah, like the clock's ticking. He's 27. If he's going to do it, he's got to do it now. And the only way he's going to do it is if Taka lets him come to New Japan full time. You know, it's interesting because the past few years, and, it, and it's been going on longer than that, but I feel like the past few years especially, uh, and Lionsgate Project is, is a perfect example of this, the gates have really opened up a lot more when it comes to cross-promotion. Um, yeah. Because, you know, there have been... Plenty of times, I mean, especially the Tokyo Dome shows for the past, you know, 10 or 15 years or so have generally had, you know, an all Japan guy or a Noah guy or, you know what I mean? Like there's been there's been some crossover there. Wrestle one with the Muda or something like that. But it's usually been like headline players like Kawada or Kojima or, you know, or Muda, for instance, whereas now you're starting to see that 
you know, it's it's that line is getting a little thinner. You know, guys like Kanamaru, for instance, who used to be a Noah guy yeah. primarily. The fact that you had the entire Suzuki Goon, you know, faction go over to Noah for a year and no, then come I agree. back. I mean, the, the one that jumps out to me, and I forget what Wrestle Kingdom it was, is when um, Yano was going to get involved with the feud, and he got um, who did he get? He got Marafuji and uh, the Mighty Don't Kneel to join him. Oh yeah. Um, they, and, and that led that actually led to some some other storylines. But other than that, you're right. It's usually almost all the headliners. Yeah, the big names that come over. But that's good. Cross promotion's good if it's done right. Totally, I completely agree. I mean, there's there's a lot of talent. I mean, honestly, the talent in Japan right now is so damn deep. Between you know New Japan, Dragon Gate, All Japan has really beefed up their roster. I mean, there's just some really great stuff going on. Uh, in that country specifically, and and you know clearly New Japan's at the top, but uh, it, it it it's just very cool to see some of these guys working on these Lionsgate uh, shows, and and I, I don't know, I'm I'm very interested to see who we might get a spotlight you, you well, know on next. Speaking of which, I have the card has been announced for Lionsgate Project 13. Well, look at you, you scooped me. I didn't even know. Yes, tell oh, no, me about I saw it. this yesterday. It's Wednesday, June 13th. Beautiful. Are, it's in Shinjuki face again. Yep. The first first match, a 10-minute time limit, is Yuji versus Umara again. Umara. Cool. Second match, 20-minute time limit. It's Ren Narita versus Shinsuke Sanyama. Okay. Sanyama. The third match is a tag team match between Dinosaur Takuma <laughs> and Hiroshi Tenzan versus Toa Hanari and Nakanishi. Okay, okay. The fourth match is Yuji Nagata versus Oka. Nice. Damn. And you're going to love this. The main event is Shota Umino versus Yayota Yoshida. Oh, nice. Oh, that's so smart. That is so freaking smart because you know Yoshida's going to get the win there, but he's got to yep. make Umino, uh, Umino look like a million bucks. It's, that's, and that's you so just smart. did a favor because you're bringing the guy in from the other pr- promotion. He got a loss. You're going to let him get a win now. Yeah, I love that. I love but, that. Yeah. So, yeah, how about that? I got to scoop you for a change. But that is, like I said, it's Wednesday, June 13th, so next month. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, yeah. So let's talk just briefly, because we already mentioned a little bit, about the press conference. First of all, I thought it was a lot of fun. I love the fact that Will Ospreay gets up there saying he's got a text message from Marty Skrull, and one of the things yeah. he says is that Flip Gordon is all in. <laughs> yeah, I also talked about what he was mad, too, because when they showered, he realized that Will Ospreay's penis was two to three times the size of his. <laughs> like he just throwing it out there. And the best part is that like people made like little memes about it because when he was doing some of this stuff, the look right behind him on Canamaro's face. Yeah. And when you watch the press comments, Canamaro's looking to the side. But it's just when they, they have like the perfect photo, he just looks like he's disgusted. Oh my God. Oh, that's great. But um yeah, the whole thing was Marty was great. But a lot of it was hard because you know, like you can't understand what some of them are saying or yeah. whatever. But uh I, I, I thought, my takeaway too was that when they tweeted out the picture of yeah. them outside, that's hilarious. Because yeah. Flip looks like he's going to a, like a groomsman at a wedding. Yeah, yeah. Oh god, that was hilarious. Um, the I mean the the whole like yeah the whole picture it's like the the class of 2018 you know sort of picture in the grass uh, and then you know Skrull showing up kind of out of the blue you know his flight getting in in time and he he just arrives basically to call everyone numpties. Uh, that he's going to win. Uh, I thought ACH was great. You, you know, Saban had some, again. I'm you know speaking mostly about the English speakers because clearly you know we don't have translations yet, so I'm not sure what everyone else said. That said, Hiromu was hilarious. 
how yeah. he had like his coloring book. He like stands up, he walks to the mic, yeah, turns around, oversized. puts it back, it's, and then yeah. And for anybody who hasn't seen it, his coloring book's huge. Yeah, it's one of those like novelty ones that are gigantic. And if you looked at the cover of it, you could see the cover. It's what is it? It's like uh, he calls it like it's. Hiromu's best of the super juniors. Yeah. It's got a picture of him and a smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I freaking love it, man. I really yeah, do. It's He's just really so great. Funny. He's so great. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's let's do it. Let's let's kick off best of the super juniors with night one. Why don't you uh, run down those opening matches for us? All right. Well, just to go quick, we had and uh, let's see, we had Kano, Yoshinobu Kanemaru versus Tiger Mask. Um, just for the record, we both thought Kanemaru was going to win, and we were both incorrect. Yeah. Tiger match won. Oh, you know what? Just for reference sake, before we get into it, too, if anybody watched it, there was some opening matches. Um, there was nothing that jumped out. There was some tag matches, like Umino and Kushida wrestled Nen- uh, Narita and Chris Sabin. Yeah. And um, Sabin and Narita won. There was uh, Yoshi, let's see, Oka and Dragon Lee wrestled Yoshihashi and Sho, which Yoshihashi and Sho won. Um, the third match was Taguchi and Toa Hanari, uh, lost to El Desperado and Suzuki in eight minutes, nine seconds to the, the Gotchdow pile driver. Uh, the fourth match was, which was pretty entertaining, actually, was Hiromu and Evil. Yeah. Beat Marty Scroll and Chase Owens. Yeah. They, uh, Chase Owens, Chase man. Tampa. My God. Like. He's come a long way, hasn't he? He really has. So that was, they were the undercards. We're not going to really talk about them, but just, you know, so everybody knows that they exist. Um, then you get into the, the the first night, which was all of A Block on the first night. Yeah. So we had Tiger Mask beat Yobinu, Yoshinubu Kanemaru with this clutch hold pin. It got a pin out of it at 10 minutes, 27 seconds. I thought it was an interesting match. I, I was entertained. It wasn't earth shattering or a match we're going to be talking about in 10 years, but it was an entertaining match for what it was. Um, the thing that jumped out is I was surprised that Tiger Mask won. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't shocked. It wasn't like, oh, my God. But well, uh, we both thought Kanemaru would win that match. I love the way that he won because, first of all, Kanemaru had, like, he, he'd been kind of healing it up most of the match. Oh, and I love how it starts. Tiger Mask wants to shake hands and Kanemaru won't. Yeah. The second the match starts, Kanemaru just kicks him and throws him right out of the ring and then flips him into chairs and starts beating the shit out of him. Yeah. It's like the the ultimate heel start to a match. Exactly. Um, and then, of course, you know, when we get to the finish and, and, and he hits that, that superplex... It, there's like a hesitation, like that moment of just sort of like, I hit this move, you know, the asshole is mine, and then what happens? Tiger Mask just kind of like quick grabs him in that clutch hold and gets the pin. And it's just sort yeah. of like, there was something about the way that he was kind of healing it up and, and kind of not taking it too seriously, and it cost him, and well, it kind of makes you wonder. Take, it was more, at one point he was more focused on getting Tiger Mask mac, mask off. Yeah. Yeah. So... And I think it does one of two things. Either either it, it paints Kanemaru as a guy who doesn't really give a shit about this tournament, and you know he's over the hill, and and you know this is going to set the tone, or it's a wake up call, and the next match we see Kanemaru, and he's going to come out and and take it more seriously. Not that he wasn't taking the match seriously. I mean, I'm not trying to like knock the wrestler, the guy. Kanemaru's I'm just talking about the character. Kanemaru's next match is in about eight hours from now, and he's wrestling Flip. Which will be interesting because yeah. our next match was Flip Gordon's debut match. All right, we're going to have to talk about this one. 
we're going to have to talk about this match because yes, we, I, we have very different feelings on it. Well, I don't know if we have different feelings on the whole match. There's just two points of the match. Yes. But um, let me let me say real quick, I just want to get this out yeah. here real quick. First of all, there was a fan in the audience with a book flip sign, which I thought was hilarious because yeah. it's like even in Japan, there are fans that, you know, know about All In in that way. And then ACH comes out and he's wearing the AAW championship, which for me as an AAW fan in Chicago who goes to see AAW shows, I was just like, how cool is that? Like, yeah. he, there he is wearing, you know, the AAW championship in and New Japan. And it's going to be there forever because awesome. it's on New Japan World. Yeah. You know, so, but mo- I, I'm going to say that 90% of the, or at least 80% of this match we agree on we both liked. Yes. There's one part we both disliked and there's one part we're split on. The part we both disliked is when Flip does his kickups. Yeah. I don't mind when he ducks a clothesline and does it. Right. But when he, or does it even twice. When he gets to that point, and I've seen him do it before, where he does it for just to do it, keeps bouncing back and forth, it's stupid. Yes, um, exactly. I don't think you're going to see much more of it. I think it just, he did it because it's the first match in Japan to show that he could do it. I hope they don't do more of it. Like, like, like I said, I don't mind when it's in the context of what's going on. You know, right. like they, they go for a clothesline and he does it and flips back up. Wow, look what I can do. That's cool. You know what I mean? But the way they did it here was kind of stupid. I agree. Now that's what we both agree on. Now, the one thing that I did text you, because you had watched it earlier than I did, was I did love the spot where Flip goes from one rope oh to the my other set of rope. God, it was and does beautiful. one of the highest flips I've ever seen. That trip, I mean, it was yeah. just Gorgeous. It was, I'm just calling it the triple jump senton. I don't know if that's what anybody else is yeah, going to call it. I don't it, know but what they're going to call it. It, but. it was, yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, it was one of the, just as far as moves go, it was one of the highlights of the entire weekend. And it wasn't even that he went from one set of the ropes, jumped over to another set of ropes, and then did it. It was, how high did he get on I, that? Yeah, it was like time slowed down or something because he was I so never high saw anybody up. go. I, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody go off the ropes and, and be that high. Yeah. Maybe it was the camera too helped it. I don't know, but it just looked gorgeous. It was, a, it was an incredible little spot, and it was, you know. So then we get to the next big spot, if you will, and this is where we're going to differ. Yeah. Um, just to set this up, they're out, they go outside. They brawl a little bit. They go up the steps. They're up in the upper part of Corican Hall. They fight over a little bit, and they get to where the steps are. So Flip then gets on the top of the ramp part of it and dives off. Yeah. Now, I agree it wasn't the coolest dive. You know what I mean? He just did a, a, a dive. Like, what would you call it? Like a crossbody block, cross body. yeah. But there's probably, because you're not jumping off ropes, there's no way to really bounce. So there's not a lot you can do there. Um but I, I agree with you that they didn't really brawl all the way up there. Now, your part was they just went there just to do it. Yeah. I I agree, but it didn't bother me. It bothered because me because it's just it's, like in a match where so many other things made sense, it, like ACH's selling of the arm when he chops the post, the you know the, the, the way that ACH was taking this match seriously and kind of telling the story of like experience and I've been here before and I want it and you're just walking in the door and you know think you're going to get cute with me. and like There was such a wonderful story. And the thing that really turned me off, it's like when they were fighting outside the ring at first, I was fine with it. When they got over the barrier and they started kind of, or, well, not over the barrier, because they don't really have barriers because of Best of the Super Juniors. Well, no, there was but, a barrier, though. It wasn't your normal barrier. It was behind them, because it was like the barrier where you start to go up the steps. Right. And so once they got there, I was sort of thinking, okay, I think I know what's going to happen here. And then this is what took me out of it. 
Flip literally just walked up the stairs. And I was like, yeah. what the fuck is he doing? Like, why would you do... There was no reason for him to do that. There was no reason for them to go up there except for the purpose of doing that spot. No, and that's what bothered you. me. It could have been done better. It would have made more sense that if ACH was getting the upper hand and Flip went up to get away from him. Yeah. And ACH chased him. But in the grand scheme of things, it didn't bother me. We got up. We got a spot out of it, you know. And it was different than any other the other matches because you don't see that all the time over there. Going That's and true. Doing that. That's very true. I didn't have a problem. I think it was just a way for them to just do something a little different. And you have two foreign guys there that the crowd isn't as familiar with. So they were going to do something to try to be a little bit more memorable. They don't have, like, you know what I mean? Like, the fans there know who ACH is. And they know who Flip is. ACH has been there before. But they're not... And Flip has been there before for the Honor Rising shows, but they're not there on a full time basis where the crowd is already in inve- is so invested into them. So I think they, especially because it's both of their first match of the tournament, yeah. I had the feeling that they were going to go up there just to throw the spot in there to get some fan reaction. And they did. The fans popped for it a little bit, and and I think that was just the whole point of it. Yeah, because they don't have the 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 built in fan support that some of these other guys have. Now again, I think overall- like it would have been no need for somebody like Kushida to do it. Right, right, right. No, that that is that is a very good point. Uh, uh, I just, I don't know. I think it'll it be interesting to see what better. Flip does for the rest of the tournament. And I also think that because because ACH was such a standout in this match, there were some things that he did that I just loved. It made me notice a couple of the things that maybe Flip didn't do. Like there was even one other thing, which is very he nitpicky. did a terrible kick. But he did well. But but he also did this really ugly like springboard spear that he did. Yeah, and I was just sort of like, okay. I mean, it, there's a, there's a point with Flip where I just kind of feel like if he would just wrestle, he's got so many other really great things that he does. I just want to see him wrestle more. Um, I, I get that, but I think too, and and because of Flip's position on being the elite, he's kind of like not in the elite, but he's on the show, and people are gonna be behind him. Then maybe he's gonna get put into some positions that maybe he's not 100 percent ready for. Sure. But, I mean, as long as you watch Flip and you realize that this is still a work in progress and look at the potential where he's going to get to. Yeah. You know, I think if you look at it with under the, that lens, it, it's a little bit easier. Um, there's one point where he does a super kick to ACH's head that looks terrible. Like, it looks like he doesn't even kick him. It looks like he just – but he does the leg slap, so it sounds like he killed him, and yet he barely touched him. Sure. But, you know, you're going to get some of those, but if I think if you look at the, the big picture – this is a, an opportunity to flip to grow, to get some more exposure. Because I mean, Flip is still so young. Yeah. Like, I, and I, and he's not been in the business all that long. No. No, you know I, I mean? like so where he is. Yes. For, for the amount of experience he has in yep. training, where he is is pretty amazing. He's only 26 years old, and he didn't really even get into wrestling. He made his debut in May of 2015. Yeah. So he's only in the business three years, and he's only 26 years old. And he does some amazing things. Yeah. And the potential there is there. So that you over, you know, and I think promoters are the same way. They're going to overlook some of the other stuff to get him Sure. There. No, I, and I don't disagree with that. And I'm very interested to see what he does with the rest of the tournament. I do think for me personally, and I'm a fan of ACH, so I'm a little biased, this, this ended up being the ACH show because I thought his selling was incredible, the way he sold the arm. One of the best fucking spots of the whole weekend, as far as I'm concerned, was when he went for the death deadlift German suplex he couldn't get him because oh, the one arm, arm was hurting and yeah. then he grabbed him with one arm and he lifted him up and he did the, yeah. and I was just like that 
is, I mean, that is what wrestling is. You're telling a story. You're, you've like got that desire to win. You can't. You got yeah. the selling. You're selling the arm. It was just a beautiful move. I loved it. Well, these are cool moves that we're talking about. And, and to be honest with you, I was terrible watching this. I took no notes on either night of this. Oh um, yeah, I didn't take hardly any well, notes the either. Reason, sometimes I try to take notes. Um, now going forward, I'm going to have to because there's matches on later this morning slash tomorrow, and we're not going to record for another week. It's harder. Right. But this, I watched it knowing within 48 hours we're going to be recording. But if I can clearly remember certain things like that deadlift, then you know it did something right. Like I don't have to look and be reminded of it. Right. You know, like I'll I'll remember if you talk to me a year from now, I'll say, hey, remember last time when Flip did that triple jump senti- or a uh, flip that he did? You right. know what I mean? Like, so they'll stand out. Yeah, no, and, that's and a very better, good point. For better or worse, you're going to remember certain things in this match, and one of them's going to be going up and jumping off the step ramp. Yeah. No, you're right. You're, you're, so you're I guess not you wrong about at, that. You know. One of the other things that I that I loved about this match, so ACH ends up winning with the Soul Buster, which is Cradle DDT move in 15 minutes and 28 seconds. But one of the other things that I loved about which this... Which is a cool move, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, uh, what is... Um, is that similar to what Paige used to do? The Oh, the Rampage? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it it's actually a is. similar move, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and he, you know, it's funny because uh, in, in AAW, he ends up using uh, just a, a brain buster uh, quite often for his finish. So uh, it was cool to see him use the soul buster because I hadn't seen him do it in a while. But um, the other thing that I loved is post-match, I don't know if you caught this or not, but he specifically bowed towards Liger. Oh, yes. And yes, I, I did. You know what? And at first, I didn't realize that he bowed because he bowed somewhere else first. Yeah. Like bowed towards the crowd. And then, yeah, but then I realized after the fact that he bowed to the announced team. So I figured it was at Liger. Yeah, which I thought was really cool because I actually saw him uh, when Liger was in Chicago uh, a couple months ago. The he the match that he was in, he tagged with ACH, and so I just thought mm-hmm. that that was kind of like for me anyway. There was something kind of cool there because it's like you know I saw these guys as a tag team not too long ago. Um, but yeah, but, I, I love ACH. Yeah. I can't wait to and see what he does in the rest funny of the tournament. Because if you would have asked me beforehand, I would have thought there's another match we would have talked about most. But then after watching it, I knew that we were going to spend the lion's share of this talking about this match yeah. because of our different opinions. Um, let's get to the next match now. You get to the third match of the Super Juniors for the night. You have Yo versus Bushi, which Yo won with this five-star clutch. Put him into a pin in 15 minutes, 18 seconds. Um, I, I enjoyed this match. Um, it's a little weird seeing Yo in his different ring attire. Yeah. Like with the feathers and stuff. Um, I don't think it's the greatest match I ever saw, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. You know Bushi, I mean? man, at one point he hit, like, an absolutely, like, sick-looking, uh, like, jumping second-rope-hung DDT to the apron, and I yeah. was just like, holy shit, that looks badass. Um, yeah, Bushi's underrated in a way. I mean, Bushi sometimes gets looked over, but then he'll do things that make you just your jaw drop. Yeah. But, um, you know, and this has got to be a little difficult for Yo in a way. I mean, it's got to be tough when you wrestle every night in a tag team. Yeah. Than to be put into a singles match because it's a different vibe. But I, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, Yo, Yo won, and uh, I, I had Yo winning. You had Bushi winning. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I had Flip winning. You had ACH. So yeah. we were both wrong on Kanemaru. You were right on ACH, and I was right here. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's a serviceable match. It's 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 a tough spot too Here's, because you just came off this ACH flip match, which had a couple big spots in it, right? And then you know everybody's pumped because the next match is the main event, which was a, an interesting match. So it's a, it's a tough spot too in a card to be. 
I agree. Um, it's sandwiched there, you know? And one of the things that I thought, and, and I think we can talk more about this later, is that in, in my... Yo, like, Yo looked really good. And I thought that his selling was, was off the charts. I thought that there were a couple of spots in this match where I was just sort of like, man, Yo is going to be a star, too. That said, I feel like Yo showed more gaps and, like, his weaknesses in a singles match, whereas his partner was fucking incredible. And we'll now, get to we that. we will talk to that because I couldn't disagree more. Oh, oh. I, all right. Well, anyway, we'll, I thought... We'll get to that. I thought, well, Yo... You know what, though, before we bang on Yo, too, let's see how he does the rest of the tournament. Because sometimes it's just who you're in there with and there's no chemistry or there's a, you know... Except for one yes. spot, which, which let's talk about the next match, because Ishimori literally did the same exact spot that Yo did... And it looked so good that all I yeah. could think is like, wow, Yo's was really bad. Well, speaking of that match, you had, because I don't really, we could talk about them both here a little bit, but you had Osprey took on Taji Ishimori, Ishimori, the Bone Soldier. The match went 13 minutes, 47 seconds, and it ended when Taji Ishimori hit with their, I guess they're calling it the Bloody Cross. Yeah. And he got the pin on the champion, Will Osprey, which you called, I thought it might go to a draw. Um, also, I just want to say for the record that when I called some of these draws, I didn't know it was a 30-minute time limit. I thought it was a 20-minute time limit. Oh, no. So, okay, I'm going to be wrong on some of those. There's not going to be that many draws, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, it doesn't change who I think was going to win each group or anything. So, right. um, I really enjoyed this Osprey-Taji Ishimori match. Me too. I felt um, like one of the things I even commented on Twitter is that this is chapter one. Like anybody, yes. anybody who's going to complain about, oh, well, it was too short or, oh, I can't believe Ishimori just won like that. Calm down. It's the first this is chapter one. Like yes. we're going to get more matches between these two and they are going to, they are going to raise the stakes. Yes. And Ishimori's were, in this division for the long term. Yeah. So relax, everybody. Right. There's still, there was a lot of action that got put in those 13 minutes. Um, there was a point where uh, I love the one move that Osprey did when he ran and then he jumped up into the seats. And then that was beautiful. Off. Yeah. And he does it so effortlessly. Yeah. It was like it just it doesn't look like a human being should be able to do that. And he just like does it so nonchalantly. And he was so, he was like on such fire at the beginning of the match where it was just sort of like, oh, you're going to come out and jump me. No, fuck you, motherfucker. I'm going to kick your ass. And it was beautiful. Well, he even alluded that in the press conference. He's like, I want to thank everybody for being here. He's like, and there's one person who's lucky. I don't go up there and kick their fucking teeth. At <laughs> you know what I mean? For what he did. But and uh, you know, what? I really this could sound so stupid. Ishimori. Now that he's in Bullet Club with the black ring attire and the way his hair is, looks so much cooler than like Ishimori looked in TNA. Yeah. Some of those, like, he just looks like a badass, he, doesn't he? There's something like animalistic about him now. Like, it's just like he's like, all I could think is like, man, he's a fucking animal. And I just, yeah, and I loved cool it. Yeah, shit looking, yeah. too. Like, and I'm not trying to comment on a man's appearance. I don't mean like, it's just the way he presents himself. He looks like a guy you'd stay away from. Right. Yes. Yep. I and he totally does, like, agree. He doesn't get carried away with doing like the hand gestures. He just does the, the gun. Yep. Like, yeah. he looks cool. He looks like he's completely, like, I. what a good job of putting him in a role. Like, who would be sitting here? If, if I told you three months ago, we'd be all excited about the bone soldier. Right. You know? <laughs> I know, right? Um, so, but that was night one. So you had an interesting where, you know, there were some matches, like, I, I think most people thought this was either, I, I thought it would have been more surprising had Osprey win. They just um, brought Ishimori in 
like you said, you're not going to bring him in. Like, what an instant way to bring him in his first match, make him super credible. Yeah, I agree just with beat that. The champ clean. I will say and that you have, you have six more matches for each of them, so you can do whatever you want with the tournament. Right, right. I will say that the audience, the audience did seem surprised. Like, it didn't seem like it didn't seem like a foregone conclusion. There was definitely you know some audible kind of like you know like oh that just happened. You know, we just no, saw. But him I get thought beat. the crowd was into Ishimori. Totally, yes. So, but I agree with you. But I don't think it was like, I think there was some, people were surprised, but I don't think it was like shocking. No, 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 no. To me, I would have been more surprised if Osprey win because I I couldn't see them bringing Ishimori in. And the only reason you make this the first match is to give him instant credibility. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Well, especially because like in long term now, if he doesn't win the tournament, it doesn't matter because he beat the champ. So, yeah, he's gonna, he has that feather in his cap. Yeah. Um, I did want to mention just a couple of quick things. I love the way that Ishimori, like, targeted the neck, because obviously that's what we're going to do with Osprey. Uh, I love this, like, sliding uh, rope-hung German suplex that he did, which was beautiful. Um, he did, like, this tombstone face buster that was amazing. It's like, it, this whole match felt like such a showcase for Ishimori without diminishing Osprey at all. Um, yeah, he got his stuff in. Yeah. Just the way... Well, he he hit the shooting star, uh, you know, the rope hung, like, shooting star on Ishimori, which is amazing. Uh, he even hit, and I loved this, when he hit Bloody Sunday, because all I could think is, you're using the original Bullet Club leader's yes. finishing move on the Bullet Club's representative. Like, it was just, it was poetry. Um I loved how he went for the Stormbreaker, but Ishimori like had it scouted, and he hit that reverse Frankensteiner. Um, I loved the, the Spanish Fly, and then it, it was just so perfect that the Bloody Cross got hit because he blocked the Oz Cutter. It was like yeah. the, it was just wonderful the the story that they told. And again, I this is Chapter One, and I cannot wait for Chapter Two. Speaking of the number two, yeah, we can move on to night two now. Let's do it. Uh, the undercard matches were Umino um, tapped out Suji and the Boston Crab. You had Oka, Tiger Mask, and ACH lose to Yoshi, Ta- Yoshihashi, Yo, and Roll Osprey when Yoshihashi got Oka to tap out in the butterfly lock. Um, Flip got stuck ta- tagging with Toa Hanari somehow. Um, <laughs> and they had to take on Suzuki and Kanemaru, which Suzuki won with the pile driver. The Gotchdown pile driver on Toa Hanari. Um, you know, uh, let's see, the fourth match, the last match on the undercard before the things, the Super Juniors were Bushi and Sonata beat Saji Ishimori and Chase Owens, which was kind of neat to see those two tag up. Um, but he hit Skull End and tapped out Chase Owens. At Man, the crowd was seconds. so into Ishimori, too, which I think yeah. was just great. So, yeah, now that's the undercard. So now we get to the B block yes. of the tournament. Now we get to a match that went 17, 17 minutes, 31 seconds. You had Dragon Lee beat Show by, I don't even know how you say this. Uh, Desna Kodora? Yes. It's, it's basically, how would you describe it? It's, uh. <laughs> it's, it's a hard move to describe. It, well, let's just say that he hit his finishing move. Right, yeah. Uh, no, he actually hit it twice, I believe, right? Didn't he, have, didn't he hit it twice and then pin him? Uh, is that, yes, yes, yeah, you're right, you're right. Okay. Um, and then I'm really, like, I, this match, at least a good chunk of it, didn't do anything for me. And I, and everybody, I, I read two people were talking about how great it was and how show looked. And I'll tell you my number one complaint with this match. I can't stand, and it's like, such happens all the time, but I hate when they stand there and go shot for shot. 
And they did that so much in this match that it completely took me out of the match. Like, if you look at 17 minutes, they must have spent at least 7 to 10 minutes just doing that shit. They did it at least, what, three or four different times. They did it once on the top rope, once in the middle of the rope. At some point, I'm like, you guys are capable of doing all these moves, and you're sitting there. I can watch any two bums in the world pretend to punch each other in the face back and forth. <laughs> do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I can watch two guys, two young lions do that for, for 10 minutes. I mean, granted, the other stuff was cool, but it just it did so much of that, it took me right out of the match. I Now, they, they got me back later on, but it was just so much. I loved this match. I thought it was the match of the weekend. I that didn't bother me at all. I think it was my least favorite match of the eight. I think that the that the fact that you could hear the audience getting into those strike exchanges and growing the longer they went and that they cut them off so perfectly that you would hear the audience like start to get to like a pitch and then they would stop with the strike exchange and move into something next. It was I thought that this was, yeah, this was... Yeah, but was, even when it wasn't strikes, it was like, okay, we did all the strikes, let's just do German suplexes now. So the German suplex show, he'd no-sell it and hop right up. He'd German suplex Dragon Lee, he'd no-sell it and hop right up. Okay, like, like, that, the, that the, German, stuff, the German suplex stuff, I, I will agree with you. That, that, that was the one moment that I heard other people kind of criticize a little bit, too, that were even fans of the match, and I'll give that no to you. They were no-selling them like crazy. But, but, man, just overall, I, like, again, I thought show looked like a million bucks. I think Dragon Lee is great. I thought that there were a lot of little subtle things that they did in this match, especially with Dragon Lee's leg and you know the tape that was all over it. And there were times when like he would be he would he would put a hold on Show, and you could tell that he wasn't putting a lot of weight on that leg. Uh, there were times when Show would try to put a hold on him, and he'd like go after that leg, and Dragon Lee would protect it. There were like. There were just some amazing things that happened. Uh, there was this beautiful moment where, like, Dragon Lee goes for uh, a Hurricane Rana while Sho is on the apron to try to, like, Hurricane Rana him to the floor. And Sho just basically picked him up, turned, and then just dropped him into the ring. And I just thought it was beautiful. It looked like it, it had impact. I'm not saying there wasn't cool parts of this match. There was a lot of cool parts. But just... Can you hear, see, understand what I'm saying, though? If you're somebody who doesn't really like that back-and-forth shot-for-shot thing too much to begin with, then they took it to overkill. Like, if, you, if it's something already that I don't like seeing, even in general, Man. and then and it seems like they do it in every match now. Well, so don't like, watch any Kobashi matches from, like, 2001. <laughs> no, I know, but it's just like, if you don't like that, then this match was just going to give you spoonfuls of what you didn't like in, like around all the other stuff so like every time they would do it it just took me out of the match like i would just sit there and say oh i'm gonna look at my phone until they're done doing this part you know and and i know the other stuff i get what you're saying there was a lot of cool stuff but it just kept breaking the flow of the the feel of the matchup for me yeah i hey i mean that's that's fair you know what i mean i i loved it i i i just loved it i you know, in fact is when i was done watching it i was just like i want to watch it again (laughs) yeah I just one of those that, uh, you know, that's everybody has their own opinion. And I don't hold it negatively towards the, the wrestlers. Like, I'd love to see them wrestle more. It's just that I can't. I, I roll my eyes when anybody does that shot for shot thing. Because I always think to myself, why would you sit there and let somebody just punch you? Like, one shot or here or there is fine. Like, I guess it doesn't bother me as much when, like, Ishii does it with Hanari because it makes more sense. But even then, they didn't do it like these two guys were doing it. To yeah. that level, anyway. That that's my critique, but everybody has an opinion that all right. But anyway, so just so but Dragon Lee wins the match, 
So, okay, now we're on to the next match. Yes. Which was Taguchi versus El Desperado. It went 13 minutes, 17 seconds, and it ended when El Desperado hit the LS Culero. How do you say that? Culero. Culero? The LS Culero. So, yeah. yeah. Um, it was what I expected it to be. Um, you get the comedy aspects with Taguchi. Like, you know, he's always trying to hit some hit people with his ass. Right, right. You know, I get thought the cool spots where he goes for it and, and like Desperado outsmarted him and hit him right into a, like a, an ass, like a back, or a, what'd you call it? Like almost like a reverse atomic drop from it. Like he jumps right yeah. into it. But overall, I, I there was plenty of things in this match I liked. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because it turned out to be better than I thought it would be. I thought that, you know, it started with some comedy and like the, you know, the healing and all that sort of stuff that Desperado was doing. But it, it evolved from that. And the great thing was, is I felt like there was, there ended up being like a, a lot of, a lot of psychology in the match, actually. Yeah, it got, as the match progressed, it kept getting better and better. Yeah. And even some of the, the stunt stuff, like even the gimmicky stuff, they did work. Like the, the one part where El Desperado put the chair between Taguchi's legs. Yeah. Long way. Yeah. Then put his legs so he couldn't get out and then hit that chair right like like a hammer hitting a nail with the other chair. Yeah. That was a cool spot. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't over anything like earth shattering, but it was a, it was a cool looking spot, you know, especially right. when you have a guy in there whose gimmick is using his ass so much. Oh, God. And then when Desperado but, um, got the, the wrench from underneath the ring and was going to basically yeah. like look like he was going to drive it into Taguchi's ass. Yeah, that looked weird. It like did. When he brought it up and they went and put him in that move, like I thought he was going to club him in the head and be already in the pin. Right. The ref turned around. But it was almost like he was going to try to, like, ass rape him with it at first. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty intense, which it's funny because there was, like, again, the psychology aspect of, like, Desperado going for the low blow and then not being able to get it for whatever reason. And then, of course, he hits the low blow and then goes yeah. into the LS Culero and gets the win, there, you, you is, know. They're really isn't any better heels in this whole division than Desperado and Canamaro. No. Because they're, like, full-on heels. Right. They're not playing it cool, or, like, you know, sometimes the chaos guys will act a little jerky or whatever. Like, Desperado's just a heel, and he's so good at it. Yeah. But, yeah, it, but you're right. That part with the wrench was a little bizarre. Yeah. And, and it, like, at first, too, <laughs> It wasn't bad. Out, was, it was just no, like, no, no, no. what are they doing? <laughs> but, like, if you remember, too, he, he pushed the ref or pulled the ref over. Yeah. And that's what got him the time. But when he hopped out, like, I got the feeling for a minute he couldn't find the wrench. Because it took, like, oh, it seemed yeah. like it took way too long for him to jump back in with the wrench. Okay. Like, the ref had, to, like, almost like the ref had to just sit there with his back turned until they got to the point where he was supposed to turn around. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm wondering if Desperado went and the wrench wasn't where he thought it was going to be. That could be. It wasn't be. like it was super long, but something that should have been, like, five seconds felt like it took 15 to 20 seconds. Right. And it was just a, a weird little spot. But it wasn't bad. It was, it was you know, it all worked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and it almost but, felt like it almost felt like Desperado was like waiting for the ref to catch him. There was like a moment where it looked like he was about ready to do it. And then it, he almost like stumbled and then he went to go do it again. And then the ref turned around and it was like there was this moment where it's just like, was the ref supposed to have already turned around? But, yeah, you know, but, whatever. Uh, I mean, it was the, all I'm going to say about this was it was a serviceable match that got better as the match progressed. Totally. It was a match that I thought I would enjoy just as a match, but I wasn't really into. By the time they got to the pinfall, I was invested in the match. I was, it had me. Yep. So that's, you know what I mean? I agree. Good job by them. Um, where it's like the opposite of the last match for me. The last <laughs> match could have been great, but they just kept losing me, losing my interest with the other stuff. Yeah. Um, and just for the record, you did pick um, Dragon Lee in that match. I picked Show. And then in this match, I picked Taguchi, you picked El Desperado. All right. 
So, so two we get to for the, two. Two for two on night two. Yes. Well, <laughs> that's about to end. Yes, it is. Um, the seventh match was Kushida versus Chris Saban. This match went 13 minutes, 47 seconds, and it ended with the all-hail Saban move, resulting in a pin. Yeah. Um, can I just... I loved this match. Yeah, me too. Uh, to me, this was my favorite match of the weekend. Um, I just was so into this match, uh, and I was enjoying all the back-and-forth action and everything that was going around, but, and then I was surprised with the outcome. Sure. Yeah, and, and when I say surprise, I want to be. It wasn't like I was shocked. It wasn't jaw dropping. No result in this tournament's going to be shocking because you don't, you know, how it works. Right. But uh, I, you know, I didn't think they'd have Kushida lose his first match. Neither did I. Which is good in a way, though. I mean, if Kushida's behind on points the rest of the tournament and chasing, it'd give him a good storyline to, you know, yeah, make it interesting. Um, but, you know, Chris Saban looked great in this match. I mean, Kushida always looks great. Let's yes. face it, Kushida's Kushida. He's one of the best in the world. Yeah, and and I feel like sometimes he gets overshadowed because some of the other people in that division are bigger personalities, you know? Yeah. But uh, he's just so good. You, you know what you're getting, and when you put him in there with another really good worker, sometimes it's magic. I mean, that was a really good match that they had in under 14 minutes. Yeah. They got tons in. It never dragged, you know? No, I you know, if if, if I had to get nitpicky, there there were times when it felt like... Like Chris Saban, maybe he wasn't. He it seemed like he lost a little fire. It was like it, it, it just, it, it, and I don't want it to be taken in the wrong way, but it, but it would just, it, it made me look at the match and be like, is he not as into this match as he was five seconds ago? And and, yeah. and that that might be a weird thing to say, but it did feel that way. Now. No, and, and it's not like you're condemning the whole match. You're saying you're oh, nitpicking. The hell no. Look for yeah, because ultimately, yeah. what I was going to say is ultimately it was it was some great work. It was just a great damn match, and I love the way that they parsed out. Like you know, here's some mat work, here's some strikes, here's some flying, here's the big moves. Here's you know, it just felt it felt like very compact, and they did they got a lot in in that thirteen forty seven. Another thing that I that I read afterwards is that Liger. Uh, Tokyo Sports um, tweeted something, and I did the translation on it. And Liger apparently on commentary compared Chris Saban to Dean Malenko. Yeah, and, I saw that you tweeted that out. Yeah, and I just thought, man, that is really apt That's for the praise. way he wrestled in the match. I felt like that is totally true. He did wrestle like Dean Malenko, especially in the way that like he started off with the mat work, and then this, you know, there were some strikes thrown in, and then he built to those big moves. And it's like that is totally reminiscent of like Malenko Mysterio or whatever and so I love that and it, clearly it's high praise coming from Liger yeah. and it just made me think man I'm not saying I'm, I'm not changing my pick I'm not doing anything like that but it did make me take a pause and be like man Saban might go far in this tournament yeah um, my only little tiny criticism and I just got done talking about how much I love the match so this is minor yeah is when Chris Saban won he looked like he was surprised he won <laughs> And I don't like that. Like, if you're surprised you won this match, then why are you in this tournament? Sure. Like, you should, everybody should be confident in their abilities. They shouldn't, like, maybe you're surprised if you win the whole thing or how it works out, but you shouldn't be surprised by getting a, a single victory. Now, I know you're in there with a the great wrestler like Kushida, but, I mean, Chris Saban's no slouch. Right. He should go, his character should go into this match feeling like he's going to win. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it wasn't like, it wasn't like it was like he schoolboyed him out of nowhere it got a quick win. He hit his finishing move. Right. Now, that's so a good point. So he shouldn't have been so surprised. That's a very, but very good that's point. That's a small criticism because the match was over. It didn't affect the match. It's just 
Like, I, I'm surprised. If I sit there and I'm surprised that you, like, the person went, I'm like, wow. He, I should look at the screen and see the guy, like, basically, basically his mannerisms should see, be like, yeah, told you. <laughs> like, sure. You know what I mean? You guys are sleeping on me. I'm for real. Yeah. But it was a, that's a small nitpicky thing. No, but that, right, we get to the that's last, a good point. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I think, yeah, that, I think that is a good point. And, and it's interesting because it does make you think about the way that they're presenting themselves. And, and, and in a way, I would say, you know, that's a valid criticism on your part. However, I think the, the counter to that possibly could be how interesting is it that he is, you know, there is that moment of just sort of like, holy shit, I just beat Kushida for him. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it's it's like, interesting to know. Young lion. I can understand if you're watching a young lion and they pull out some huge upset. Yeah. Like if you had Oka beat Ishii or something in a match, you'd be like, holy shit. I can understand him being like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right. Somebody like Chris Saban shouldn't be surprised about winning a, a singles match. Yeah. No matter who against any other junior in the world. No, that's a good point. Good point. All right. But like I said, I digress. We get to the fun, the, ma- the main event of night two. Yeah. Which is also it's in the B block. It's you got Hiromu Takahashi. Versus the villain Marty Skrull. Yes. This match went 20 minutes and 47 seconds, and it ended with a referee stoppage due to Hiromu having, a, what would you say, a triangle? Triangle choke, yeah. A triangle choke on Marty. Um, I like this match a lot. Me too. They do. These guys know exactly what they're doing, and I really like the finish of this match. Me too. I liked, that it, I liked how they did it where Hiromu put him in. And if you rewatch the end... It's funny because when he first puts him in the triangle hold, nobody, like, even the crowd's dead for it. Yeah. Because they don't think this is going to be, this is just a filler hold or whatever. Like, And then Marty gets up, and it looks like he's going to power bomb him, and Jerome pulls him right back into it. Like, he never lets up on the triangle. No, I know. I love and that. And then, like, when he stopped him, like, he, and it, Marty didn't tap. He rolled, when they rolled over, he passed out. Yeah. And that's how they stopped it. It was neat. Um, one thing I noticed in these, and I don't know if I've ever noticed this before, they go out of their way anytime there's a submission hold put on any of these matches to make it look like it could be a legitimate end. Yeah. And the way they do it, and I don't know if it's always like this, the, 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 the timekeeper, the, the bell ring guy, um, is right behind the hard camera. So you can see him the whole night. The guy with the rings the bell. Every time in one of these matches where there's a submission hold put, he has the hammer right above the bell, like he's waiting just for the signal to hit it. Yeah, like even that's small. Awesome. Like, and I know that's such a small, small thing, but it pres- it helps present that these are legitimate wrestling holds that can end the match at any time. Yeah, like you know what I mean. And then when they do stuff like this, where how many times you see Hiromu win with a triangle like that? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're wait. So at any point. When you see a submission hold in, it gets sunk in, it could actually be it. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. It's not like you're watching WWE, where WWE is guys only going to win with a submission if that's his finishing move. Right, right, exactly. You know what I mean? They're either going to win with the submission if it's their finisher, they're going to hit their finisher, or they're going to get like a, a roll-up or a schoolboy or something for a trick win. That's the only way they're going to end. Yeah. So this was neat because you saw him use a move. It's not his normal move to win the match. Yeah, and I, I just I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a nice little bit of storytelling. 
Me too. Me too. And I, you know, I think that it, it does two things. One, it, it puts another move in his arsenal that now you think like, oh, Hiromu could bust out this triangle at any time, and that could be the end of the match. And it also it, it raises that sort of idea that you know anything it, anything can end a match. It's not just about you know hitting a finisher or, or whatever. Um, I, I, I thought there was a lot to love about this match. I mean, it's clear that these two have another level, and and they didn't need to to get there in order to make this match a good match. Um, but I, I thought that, uh, you know, Hiromu with, with his facials and the look he gets in his eyes and his selling, like it was just great. I thought that Marty, you know, did this wonderful thing where he wasn't like fully in comedy mode, you know what I mean? But he wasn't also fully in that serious ass kicker mode. Like he was in the Osprey match a couple months ago. Like there's that sort of that middle ground that he falls into sometimes. And it's very interesting the way that he can kind of morph his character. When you're in a tournament like this and you got to wrestle so many matches in a short period of time, doesn't it make sense that you're going to have some where you're more up for than others? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And that's the thing is it's like, look, they did not need to go out there and, and, and you know, have a blow-away match. They didn't need to do that. And I think that instead they were able to have a contained match that was very good that played to both of their strengths. Um, you know, they, they, they were pace. It felt like they were pacing themselves well for the tournament, not only as performers, but also within like storyline, kind of the, you know, the idea that it's like, let's pace ourselves here. You know, I don't need to go out here and give everything I've got because I've got a lot more matches to go. And I thought that that was really cool. Um, but that being said, it was still, they still put on a, a good show. Oh God, it was without a like, doubt. And they still kicked yeah. each other's ass. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, Hiromu was like, even after the match, after he'd won the match, he was still kind of just you could tell that he was like hurting you know uh which was great yeah um but yeah i thought the ending you know i thought the finish you know made hiromu look really strong and like a badass but at the same time it didn't really hurt marty either because he didn't tap out um yeah so i i yeah i thought it was great it was a, it was a wonderful way to end and, and and i think night two overall for me was stronger than night one um but i mean night one still had ach and flip and it still had um um uh, Osprey and Ishimori, which, you know, was, was fantastic. And, you know, I think easily, easily in my mind, Osprey, Ishimori, uh, Sabin and, um, uh, uh, and Kushida and, and for me, I know not for you, uh, and, and Dragon Lee versus show like all three of those matches to me could have easily been like the match of the weekend. So, um, I, I think we're off to a great start. I think, that there's no doubt that we're going to see better matches, which to have such a solid foundation of these first two nights just has me jazzed. Yeah, and, I mean, we already went through all the matches for all the nights. Um, the only thing I'm going to say is now that the next night, then there's a break, is, like, as if we're recording this, it's 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on Saturday night. So the next matches take place in, what, about six hours? Yeah, well, is that right? The card starts in about six hours, so about seven, seven and a half, eight hours from now. Um, you're going to get the next batch, and it's basically going to be um, you got Will Osprey versus ACH, Taji Ishimori versus Bushi, Kanemaru versus Flip, and Yo versus Tiger Mask. So that's what I have to look forward to when I wake up tomorrow. Hell is yeah. to watch some of that. So I'm excited to see Osprey and ACH, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I like them all, but it'll be it'll be a good show. So that's where we're at with the Super Juniors. Uh, like I said, we only got two nights in the book so far, but solid two nights. Some upsets, some some matches went the way we thought. Overall, if this is just the first night of the tournament, this is everybody's first match, we're we're going to be on to some good stuff going forward. For sure, I agree. I completely yeah. agree. Well, 
shall we move on to our classic matches? Yes. All right. Um, why don't we do, I know they're out of order, but why don't we do mine first? Because I feel like we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about your match. Sure. Go for it, man. Okay. My match was, I picked um, the Young Bucks versus the Time Splitters at Dominion. Um, was it Dominion 2015, I believe, off the top of my head? Um, I, I picked this match because we hadn't had a tag match yet, and this is one of my favorite ones because I think it's, it's a short match. It's not super long, but you get to see um, two, two great teams that were engaged in a great rivalry doing what they do. And to me, that was like the best um, example of it. Yeah. Was this match. Um, I mean, you, you know what you're getting with the Young Bucks, but because they don't wrestle together a lot now, people don't realize how good um, the time splitters were. Yeah. I mean, you get to see Kushida all the time, but it wasn't. And I'm sorry, I said it was 2015. I'm sorry, it was 2014. What's the date exactly? I just wanted to make sure. It's June 21st, 2014. Oh, man. Well, we have we have a small problem because I watched the wrong match, and I put the wrong match in the show notes. <laughs> right, what you watch? Which one did you watch? The February 11th match. All right, well, I watched the Dominion match. Well, why don't we do this? Instead of talking about it then, why don't we save it? We'll we'll still do our new ones, but we'll watch. You watch the February one. I watched the uh, June one. Let's this week we'll watch the opposites, and we'll just talk about the two, the pair of them next week. That sounds fantastic. Instead of talking about you know, so just for everybody, we'll list both of them in the show notes. But um, I can understand how that happened. But the one I picked was from Dominion, June twenty first, two thousand fourteen. Okay, it's the opening match on the card. So. Beautiful. All right. Well, let's get to. We'll get to. And we're not gonna. We'll just put them out there. We'll talk about that next week. But we're still gonna do our classic matches. So why don't we get to your classic match? All right. So uh, my classic match was um, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Hiroshi Tanahashi, Wrestle Kingdom two for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Um, so I, I have to be honest. After I watched the match, I, I almost, I almost wished that maybe I had started earlier or maybe given a little backstory to the match. And then I was like, ah, hell with it. I'll just do it when I talk about it. Um, first of all, Nakamura is back from his excursion, sort of almost self-imposed exile, if you will. He'd lost a match to Kawada at uh, last year's Wrestle Kingdom. He'd lost a match to Lesnar. He, you know, he'd gone from being sort of the super rookie. Everyone was, was you know, in his corner and, and thinking that he was going to be the greatest thing ever. Uh, he'd, he'd started to dabble in, you know, the MMA stuff. Uh, but his stock had kind of fallen. And, and while his star had sort of, you know, fallen off a little bit, Tanahashi's had started to skyrocket. Um, so he comes back and unfortunately we've got the situation where Lesnar has the belt. Lesnar's chosen not to defend it. They decide to have a new belt made. It's the ugliest fucking belt you'll ever see. Oh, it's horrible. Uh, Horrible. Yeah. Um, well, and, and just to give some backstory too, they have the new belt, but now what happens too is there's, uh, Noki has his own promotion. Yep. Correct the the Inoki Genome or whatever. Yeah, Inoki Genome Federation okay. IGF. Yeah. Okay, who continues to recognize Brock Lesnar as the IWGP champion? Yep. So you get this weird dynamic where when when you have this the match right before on the card, if you were to look it up, it says Kurt Angle wrestled Yuji Nagata for the IWGP Third Belt Championship. Yeah, which is really the original... They split the IWGP titles, what happened. 
that New Japan didn't recognize Brock. They stripped Brock Lesnar. But Anoki being Anoki decides he's going to keep the belt, like, in his thing, going to recognize it and kind of tries to hijack the IWGP title. Yeah. So now you have Kurt Angle holds this belt. And at one point, they, they had the belt on TNA. Yeah. So, but the weird thing is, is the belt that's not the real belt that that Angle has is the actual real belt, though. Right. The, the belt that we all know that looks awesome, not the awful, ugly goddamn belt that they got Tanahashi coming out in. Right, exactly. Which um, is why, if you watch this match, too, at the end, that's if you don't know the story, you're not going to understand why Kurt Angle then is challenging Nakamura after the match. With the and he's got what you would consider the IWGP title on his shoulder, right? So, so the other thing that's worth mentioning here is that Nakamura had um, uh, taken part in the G One in two thousand seven, um, and unfortunately, he reached the semifinals, but he dislocated his shoulder, um, legit, and so he was sidelined for a few months after that. Um, but you know, he came back in November, and he ended up. Um, beating uh, Makabe actually in December in order to get the the championship match at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, Now, he comes into this match, like, if if you only know Shinsuke Nakamura from the past, like, few years, you're going to be surprised because he's, he's bulkier, um, you know, he's, he's not the King of Strong style yet. He's not really found that character, transitioned into that character. This is, you know, this is post-super rookie phase, which, again, if you don't know Nakamura's career, when he first started out, he was positioned as, like, you know, the the next big thing. And they, right, they strapped, you know, strapped the rocket ship to his back right away, put the title on him. Very uncharacteristic for New Japan. Um, and, and the fans kind of bought it but it didn't last and and he suffered some questionable defeats and there was just there was a lot of weird booking at that particular time in New Japan and he suffered for it now he started to kind of make the comeback uh here and and you know fans have certainly bought into him a little bit more but again he suffered a couple of defeats the past couple of years with the Lesnar defeat the Kawada defeat but anyway he comes into this match he's got the shoulder taped up Tanahashi comes into this match as one hell of a cocky son of a bitch. Um, and, and in a very different way than what you would see, say, six years ago when he, he faced Okada. Me off. Yeah. Um, because now anybody who listens to the show knows that I don't have, you know, I'm a relatively new fan to New Japan. So I have, you know, sometimes I know who was on the card and I know, okay, like I know there's this match between Nakamura and Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom 2. But I hadn't seen it, so like, I I just flipped the match on, and it's interesting. Like he's when he halfway down the ring, like the ramp, he struts. He does this like little like he's got the swagger to him. Then when they get into the match and they start like the soon the second there's a break and he doesn't he slaps him in the face. I texted you. I'm like, holy shit, is is Tanahashi the heel? Yeah. Because it's I had not seen it before, and it, it it's a little it's it's weird to see him like that. Yeah, well, and, and their relationship, you know, it's it's very strange because obviously we talk a lot about Tanahashi and Okada, as well we should, but the truth is that when they were first coming up, Tanahashi and Nakamura, along with Shibata, were kind of like the new Three Musketeers, which harkens back to Chono and Muda and, and Hashimoto, and so... 
Shibata obviously didn't last long. Um, and, and really, this Nakamura and, and Tanahashi rivalry um, really, it, it was like the two of them kind of going neck and neck uh, for a while. Like, who, who, who's the better? Who can, you know, who's going to one up? But at the same time, they also worked as a tag team early on. They, you know, there was just a lot of crossover between the two of them. And it really kind of felt in a lot of ways that the story that New Japan would be built around was Tanahashi and Nakamura. And in some ways that kind of came to pass and this match is indicative of that, but it never, they, they never necessarily reached the same sort of epic proportions that like Okada and Tanahashi did. Now they had some incredible fucking matches together. Um, and they, and they helped to put each other on the map. There's no denying that. But I just think that overall the storyline between the two never necessarily reached the heights of say the Okada Tanahashi story. Um, which is which is interesting because again they came up together. They there was so much crossover between the two. They traded belts. They you know they they had a lot of their rivalry, especially when Nakamura after this match, for instance, would start to morph into the King of Strong style. Would become the Intercontinental Champion. Would would basically make that belt equal with, if not in some people's eyes, more important than the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. You know that that helped to reignite that rivalry a little bit. But then obviously, you know Nakamura comes to the states. Another thing that's worth noting about this, and I hate to go all over the place here on tangents, is that at this particular time when Nakamura came back for Wrestle Kingdom two, that actually. A lot of people might not know this. The year before, in 2007, I want to say, was the first time that he was actually scouted by WWE. He was actually backstage at a SmackDown event in, in like, I want to say mid to late 2007. Uh, And all, I mean, there were tons of rumors that he was going to sign with WWE. And then he didn't. And then he comes back and he's put in the Wrestle Kingdom main event and he wins. So take that for what you will, like politics-wise or whatever, but it is, it is, yeah. it is worth noting that he was courted by the WWE literally as early as 2007. Um, uh, yeah. But anyway, well, the match, you know, there's some good exchanges early. There's a lot of feeling out. Tanahashi goes for the leg. You know, Nakamura's selling like a million bucks. Then Tanahashi switches it up and starts going for the shoulder and the arm and kind of heals it up on that. Nakamura, you know, continues to sell. There's this beautiful moment where he goes for a cross arm breaker, but he couldn't actually get it because the arm was too hurt, so he couldn't pull back and, all the and way. And they're selling the arm hurt so bad they're having, like, the doctors even look at him. Yeah. Which and then Tanahashi is just kicking everybody out of the way to get at him. It's let me just say too. Now you picked the match, so obviously you were familiar with it. Um, and I watched the match. So, but when I talked to you, I said I'm not going to tell you what I thought about the match. I'm going to save it for the podcast. Yeah. So my opinion on the match. To me, this was one of my favorite wrestling matches I've ever seen. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know if it's how you would rate it or whatever, but the story they're telling and the, and like, especially once like we get the backstory of what's going on, the way they're doing it, the way Nakamura sells the sense of urgency throughout the whole match. You know, I just thought it like every day, every time you felt like they should do something to pop the crowd, they did something to pop the crowd. Like, like they had everybody eating on the palm of their hands. They they would they get you up, they'd get you down. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was it was like a roller coaster watching it. And the nice thing is too, when I watched this match, I purposely didn't look anything up previous. I didn't want to know who was gonna win. Mm-hmm. And I didn't until I watched it. And it was it was wonderful to watch. 
I enjoyed the hell out of it. And it's a longer, man. Like, well, it's not super long. It's like 30 some minutes, uh, I would guess. But it's, it didn't seem long. It, like, I just enjoyed the shit out of it. And then um, you get the exchange with Kurt Angle afterwards, which is kind of neat. Yeah. It's really kind of weird because you got Jeff Jarrett's with them. Yeah. And, like, I'm thinking to myself, man, go back in time. I don't know where you guys are going soon, but. Right. <laughs> uh, well, and, and, and you know, it's 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 worth noting. Hey, real quick I, that, you feel like saying was did Karen make the trip to Japan too, guys? Oh man, oh boy. Um, but it's 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 worth noting that uh, the finish uh, was this beautiful like avalanche landslide that just looked sick, like the way Tanahashi well, landed, twice, like, and then right? yeah, he, and then he hit the regular one for the pin. Um, yeah, and it was yeah, it was it was a great finish. Um, it's also worth noting as a follow-up that Tanahashi, or excuse me, Tanahashi, Nakamura would indeed face Kurt Angle. He would beat Kurt Angle and bring the IWGP title back. Yeah, he and then, unified the two belts, and they kept they went with the the the, the not ugliest shit belt. Yeah, the 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 original belt, if you will. Well, not original belt, but um, God, that one that they created was so ugly. Yeah, I know. It looks like a kid's toy. Oh, it was terrible. And it's amazing too because I think the IWGP title is one of the best looking belts in the world. Yeah, it's I classy. Agree. It's just like you know, it looks like something you'd want to win. The other one looks like a toy. But I digress. Right. But uh, I loved it. I loved the hell out of it. I'm so glad to hear so, that. I really am. I I, I, just, I think it's just such an interesting marker for for Nakamura and where he was in his career, and, and Tanahashi too. I mean, I, I think it's 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 just this great sort of um, y- you know the fact that these two guys are on top at Wrestle Kingdom two. It's a great main event. It's you know again just even the way that Nakamura looks compared to how he's going to look a few years after this. You know, just everything that he would go through in the change that he would go through and the new character that he would establish. And, you know, it's interesting seeing him at this level and and doing things that he wasn't doing nearly as much, you know, later on, like the moonsaults, for instance, and stuff like that. So um, I'm really glad you liked it. And and I put it this way. So uh, a lot of these matches that you or Wilford or somebody else picked out for these classic match suggestions, a lot of times I haven't seen them. Or if it's one I have seen, I haven't seen it in so long that it's fun to go back. And they're fun to watch. This, I feel, I feel like I'm a better wrestling fan now for having seen this match than I was previous. That's, That's how much I like this match. Awesome. So I'm so happy you picked this match. Like, you know what I mean? And, and just so people know, we don't have any um, interaction or discussion about what we're going to pick. No. Yeah. Um, well, to a point, we did decide on something that's going to happen in a few weeks. Oh, we're right, we a, did. Yeah, that's but, right, that's right. And and you'll find out why. We're going to do something that's topical for the time. But as far as these go, we really don't know what each other's going to pick. Yeah. And we don't, I know, like, I don't pick them to see, like, oh, Sam will like this. I pick it for the general populace, you know, like, just anybody who's listening or whatever. But this one, I thought you hit this one out of the park. With that being said, what do you got for me next? What's your <laughs> next pick? <laughs> All right, so you're gonna have to give me just a second here, I, because uh, um, I'm I'm a little ill prepared. Give me just oh, one I, moment. I I pulled the I I should have let you know it was coming. I know. Well, I had my I I have I have my list, and and sometimes I like to switch it up on the fly, just because when we get to talking about things, I'm just sort of like, oh, well, maybe I should go with this, or maybe I should. So just give me one second here. I'm gonna pull up my list, and I'm gonna. Take a quick look because it's 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 so weird because you know going off the fly which I love I mean I just love that we that, that we don't discuss it beforehand and that you know it's one of those things that that literally kind of just happens in the moment but um, 
but yeah, I, I ha- so I have a list of about 10 matches here that I've been waiting to kind of pull out. And I think what I want to do, usually I go with like, who do I want to watch? But I think what I want to do in this case actually is go with an earlier match because I, so somebody who I've been thinking a lot about when we first started doing the classic match thing was, um, Tatsumi Fujinami and how I wanted, I I felt like we needed to have, you know, we needed to get a match in with him uh, sooner rather than later, because I I think that so much of where New Japan Pro Wrestling is today kind of owes to what he would bring to, um, to the promotion. Um, So I think I have two of his matches and, and, and I think the one I'm going to go with, yeah, I, all right. I'm going to go with one from August 4th, 1983. Um, it's from the Summer Fight Series, and it is Tatsumi Fujinami versus Ricky Choshu. Um, I, I, I think it's a little weird to start with this one because their feud has been going on for a while, uh, and this is kind of the capper in a lot of ways, but I, I, I just I think that this is a great match. Um, I, I admit I've only seen it once before. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's, that's, that's my pick. Interesting. I'm, I can't wait to see it. Now the Fujinami Chosu rivalry is talked about a lot in Chris Charlton's book that I always talk about lion's pride. Yeah. So it, I'm excited to see this. Um, all right. My pick, I did not go with any kind of juniors for, for a change. All right. I went with two, a singles match heavyweight. It's from August 3rd, 2013. It's from the G1, Night 23, and it's Katsuyora Shibata versus Tomohiro Ishii. Oh, man. Um, and it's a short match. It's only like 12 minutes, but there is a lot in this 12 minutes. So I'm not going to say anything because I want people to watch it, but it's I, I've seen this match before. I love this match. And what was, and what was the I date just, on that again? It's August 3rd, 2013. Okay. Right. And it's the G1 Night 23. All right. So you're going to get two hard-hitting, uh, you know, you want to talk about strong style. You got two guys that are want to kill each other in the ring. <laughs> yeah, right. So that's where I went. Beautiful. I can't wait. I mean, you know how much I love Shibata, and I, clearly, I mean, Ishii is, is another favorite. Yeah, so. I felt, well, that's how we got on it. I decided sometimes, like, it, there's always different ways to pick the match. Like, sometimes it'll be... Topical, like last time I picked the Okada Tanahashi match because right. of Tantaku. This was just sometimes I look through wrestlers and say, "Who do I want to see?" And this was one where I'm like, "You know what? We need an Ishii match." Totally. And then you look through the list and you're trying to figure out which one to go with. And you know, there's a numerous ones I went with. I almost went with this match at the G1 in the U.S. for the against Kenny for the U.S. Um, the tournament final. Oh yeah. Which I didn't go with, but if anybody's looking to kill time like to watch matches that's a great match to watch too but uh this match i I enjoy this match the most i I think out of all the ishii matches that came to mind i love it i love it i yeah i mean i'm i'm stoked for both of these matches i I look forward to hear uh hearing your thoughts on on the fujinami and choshu match like i said this is kind of you know the, the the end of their feud um but uh uh i just think that it's it's a great match it's a fun match and um and there's there's some hate so uh, which is never a bad thing. And there's a title involved, too. So, hey, yes. you know. <laughs> this, this is the match, too, if I'm thinking of the right one. This this is the title match. This is the one that Charlton talks about the most. Yeah. 
because it was like they brought Fujinami back for this match, and like they brought, like not brought him back, but you know what I mean. Like they brought, they rekindled this for this match. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see both of them. I might even watch. Well, I mean, I've already seen one, but I'm gonna watch it. Plus, I have to watch that February match now between the Time Splitters and uh, the Young Bucks. Yeah, it's so crazy that we got the wrong matches because I got to be honest with you. Like, I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I'm looking forward to talking about it. But I, I'm, I'm excited to watch the other one now too. I feel a little bit like an idiot, but uh, well, yeah, you know, whatever. Listen, these things, whatever. Now, what's the worst that's gonna happen? We're gonna watch an extra match. Yeah, right. <laughs> Big deal. Okay, so, so uh, that two, said, I mean, yeah, I got two quick things for you actually. Uh, okay, both that just uh, so I like I said the baby shower and everything. I've been away. From, from Twitter and the news and stuff, but the two things that happened yeah. in the meantime that I just now noticed that are very interesting is, one, Chris Sabin himself uh, tweeted the resurrection of Chris Sabin, uh, and this was earlier today, which I think is just so apropos because I really felt like that match with Kushida, it, you know, I even mentioned this on Twitter, it, it, it feels like a Chris Sabin we've not seen before. Well, um, maybe that explains a little bit of his reaction when he won, too. Right. That I was nitpicky about, so we'll see how <laughs> this goes. Um, but yeah, you know. so so that, that, that was really cool. I'm kind of stoked about that. The other thing that's super interesting, because this literally never happens, Shota Umino has been booked for Strong Style Evolved in the United Kingdom. Uh, I, I, I mean, a young lion going to like a, an event that's not in Japan and he's not on excursion like that's I wonder if this is the setup, though, for him to start his excursion right after that could very well be um, yeah, he's gonna do his excursion in England. Man, that would be freaking interesting as hell. I I, I, mean, I could be wrong. But I mean, anytime they can send these guys somewhere where they're going to learn English as a byproduct, it might not be a bad idea. You know, just going forward, they want to do the expansion, especially in the United States and Canada. Yeah. So, I mean, and you could, you know, let's face it. I, I hate to say this. A lot of Americans uh, are, are tough that we don't want to read subtitles. Sure. Like, I, I don't care, but... You know, like, there's so many great movies out there, and if you tell some foreign movies and you tell somebody, oh, you should watch this, be like, well, is it subtitled? Be like, yeah. They're like, well, I'm not watching that. Yeah. Like, it's such a big deal. So, I mean, I know that sounds terrible, and I don't want to be putting down, like, my own countrymen, but if they want to expand, the more they can have their young wrestlers that they're going to build upon for the future, uh, possibly learn at least serviceable English, the better off they're going to be long term. Right. You know, and, and that's... It's just a reality of doing business around the world. Yeah, no, I mean... Because, you know, you're already at such disadvantage in a way with the time zone difference. It doesn't work out. Like, they'd be better off if it worked out a little differently. Like, maybe if they had a match and it was on, like, um, like, like when they have, a, like, Wrestle Kingdom, well, it goes along. But, like, the West Coast, sometimes if something were to start at, like, 11 at night or midnight, or even if it was the air at, like, 10 or 11 in the morning, but, like, that 5, 6 o'clock a.m. is such a hard spot. Right. To watch stuff live, that they're at a little bit of a disadvantage there, so they could overcompensate in the market if they had some young English speakers that they're going to build around. Not that they're going to build around them because they're English speakers. These are the guys, the future guys anyway. The more they can speak English, just the better off. Sure. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, no, that makes total sense. And it's you know it's interesting too, just seeing the way that like, and and I'm not saying 
Like we're not saying, I don't think you mean, and I certainly don't mean as I say anything like this, that we're talking about wrestlers who need to prepare themselves to like come to work at WWE or anything. We're just talking about no, in the scheme no. of the international expansion itself. And when you look at somebody like Shinsuke Nakamura, who, you know, is fluent in English, when you look at somebody like Asuka, who has, you know, clearly been working on and learning English, when you look at somebody um, like Kenta uh, or Hideo Itami, you know, in, in WWE, who, who has admitted even you know publicly that his struggle to learn English has probably inhibited his you know his his exposure uh, in WWE or whatnot I think that that is indicative of what the tools that you do need uh, to maybe appeal to that market I will say that based off of the market that they've got already it's not I don't think it's crucial um, but I do think that it would certainly enhance the profile, which is clearly something that they're going for. So yeah, yeah. why why not? But if you have if you have guys like Umino or and Oka or whoever you're going to go with these young lions, they're the future of your company long term. Right. If they can learn English now, at least serviceable, it just takes one of the barriers down later on. Like you know what I mean? If you could have the star of your company, like just for example, look at the value that Kenny brings them by being able to speak Japanese and English. Absolutely, that's a great point. It, is it is it a deal breaker? No, I mean he's just a fantastic wrestler, and that would have carried him anyway. But his ability to speak both languages fluently just gives him an extra, a little. It's like a bonus. They can send him out to an event in Japan or an event in the United States, a public relations thing, and neither place have to have a translator from. He can talk to the people in their native language. Right. And that's such a huge advantage. I mean, and if you could, like, like I'm not saying, like you're saying, these young lions have to be completely fluent. But if they could sit down and at least do a promo, like after match promo, thanking people, like when they do a, like a foreign trip or something. Like, like, I don't know if you ever saw when they did the shows in Australia. Yes. And Okada thanked the crowd and stuff afterwards in English. Yeah. Now, it wasn't the greatest English, but it got the point across. Right. And something like that, it, it's just more personable, personal when they can do it like that without a translator. So, you know, especially with the new president, if he's looking for more expansion into Western markets, the more people you, you can speak the native language is all the better. No. But I would put an emphasis on the young lines because they're going to be there for so long that it makes sense. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good point. That's a very good point. It'll be interesting to see, you know, again, I mean, just going back to what we opened the show with talking about the new president, kind of where they go, uh, you know, what the next steps are for them. And I think that, quite honestly, uh, we're going to see that sooner than later. Like people who, you know, have been talking for a while now, including somebody like Dave Meltzer, uh, you know, and, and fans who have been saying that, you know, this this is it's a slow process and it's going to, you know, it's probably going to be five years or so before we really start to see uh, that that has all changed. With this new president, I have no doubt that we are going to start seeing them really amp up and it's not going to be a five year thing. It's going to be like two years. Like you're going to start to see huge shifts in the way they market to, you know, the Western world. And, and, well, and I, I think, think we're going to benefit. Step, yeah, I think the next step they have to take, though, is the next show they run in the U.S., they need to run on the East Coast somewhere. Oh, yeah, I agree. Or, or away from the West Coast, even if they don't want to venture all the way. But if you were going to have a show, like, they should have a show in New York. Yeah. That would be the next logical step. And then then you can run shows eventually in, in the more of the center, like Chicago or whatever you want to do. But they got to get off this West Coast thing. I agree. I agree. It's going to come. It is. It is, without a doubt. Uh, so, one other thing I wanted to add real quick, too, uh, just because I think that it's worth noting, if you have not yet watched the best of the Super Juniors Nights 1 and 2, which we have spoiled in total for you. Uh, which you and, should know, though, we're going to talk about it. You know what I mean? It's going to be in the show description. Right. But that said, if, if you have not yet watched it... Um, 
Kevin Kelly did record English commentary for both Night 1 and Night 2. They should be uh, uh, uploaded and on demand soon. So if you want to check out his English commentary, uh, which quite frankly, I mean, I, I don't think that there was a bad uh, tournament match. So, I mean, you got eight matches, probably a total of like a little over two hours. I mean, no, spend a little time with Kevin Kelly, watch those matches, listen to the English there commentary. There hasn't been a bad match. I mean, they'll show you the depth of this tournament already, that the match that you have is your favorite match of the weekend is my least favorite. Right, right. That just goes to show you, and I'm not saying it's a bad match, but, I mean, that just shows you how, like, where these matches are. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and, and, match, fact- and, and matches I didn't think I was going to get into, like Kanemaru and Tiger Mask, I was, and, or Taguchi and um, El Desperado, I was completely into well, and how crazy is it, too, the fact that, like, when we're talking about, you know, the, the show um, and, and Dragon Lee match where I'm like, this is my favorite match of the weekend, and then I start thinking to myself, and I'm like, well, man, Chris Sabin and, and Kushida was really good, and Osprey and Ishimori was really good, and then you got Hiromu and Skrull, and so it's like, you know, it, it almost seems arbitrary to pick one. So, yeah, I, I, the tournament's off to a hot start. I can't wait to talk about what's next. Um, but in order for us to do that, we got to get the hell out of here so we can watch some more wrestling. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, because I, I mean, I really don't have anything else. Um, no, there's nothing going on here. All right. You know, I'm probably going to get off this, and I think I'm going to go watch some of the classic matches. I love it. Because I'm not going to bed, and it's too late to start a movie or something. So sometimes that's like the perfect little sweet spot, too. you got like a half hour or whatever. Like, you know, you get I get home and sometimes the kids aren't home yet or anything and I have an hour, so you don't want to invest in anything too big. I'll be like, all right, I'm watching a match. Yeah. That's, the, that's The hardest part about doing it, honestly, sometimes, is finding the matches. I know. God, the search it's, function has they, got that's, to be improved. That's, that's one thing, yeah. They really, and, and I don't mean to critique it, but, like, you go on the WWE Network, the ease in which you can find something yeah. Is, and there's so much more content on there. The ease in which you can find it is amazing compared to New Japan. Yeah. And then like the like even like when you think you found it, sometimes the labels on them are messed up. You know, like I've seen some where they have the wrong name. Like I'm looking right at it and I can tell it's Shinsuke Nakamura and it's saying something else. Yeah. But you know, but I think the, those things are come. I mean, part of it too is the more I use it, the more the easier I find things, but it's not the most user-friendly. Uh, website, right? Although, did you see? Oh, this is worth mentioning too. Um, real quick before we got we got out, um, Kevin Kelly tweeted about it. If you watch these matches on a, on your computer or your laptop, did you see that somebody made the, an extension for Chrome? Yes, that that makes way easier, and it'll mark off and keep track of what you watched. I did see that. Yeah, I saw that on Reddit. Actually, it's called like uh, what is it? New, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling EXT or something? I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's for Chrome. I, I I don't I haven't used it because I don't watch them through Chrome. Me either. It's an interesting question. Let me ask you this. I know we're gonna get out of here. How do you watch New Japan World? Okay, so honestly, I watch. I use my Amazon Fire a lot for it because the app is on there, which is which is great. Um, although the app can be a little finicky at times. Um, I've never had a problem with actually streaming like anything, like watching the content itself. It's just getting to and finding the content and not just the searching, but yeah, the app is a little finicky as far as that's concerned. Uh, I also watch it on my iPad a lot. Cause sometimes I'll watch like at work when I'm on a break or something. Uh, and I love then how you throw, make sure you throw when you're on your break or yeah, on your lunch. Right, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and then sometimes I'll watch on my laptop. So I literally watch it every which um, way. 
I watch it almost exclusively. Now, I have a Fire Stick, but I find the app to be a little finicky, like you said. To me, I, the easiest way to, to watch it is through the Microsoft Edge uh, browser on my Xbox One. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, it, it's, it works perfectly. Yeah. Like, it, and it's, it's so easy because then I already have it on the TV and everything because I don't like to watch things on laptops or iPads. Sure. If I can avoid it. I like to, like, I'm finicky with that. I'm an elitist. I want to watch it on the big screen. Sure. TV. But, um, yeah, so, but a lot of people, if you have an Xbox One, it works well. Like, I, unfortunately, the PlayStation 4, it doesn't. And the shocking thing to me is you would think a Japanese company in a Japanese market like that would have an app on the PlayStation by now. Right. Or the Xbox or both, and they don't. Well, like, it's really interesting, and I wonder if this has anything to do with the fact that it's Sony, and, and I, I, I mean, I don't know what any of the sort of business aspects or, or political aspects of this are, uh, but it's funny because Kevin Kelly was asked about a PS4 app, and he specifically said no, but that they were working on apps for other platforms, so I don't know if there's something like Bushi Road and Sony don't do business, or... But well, I don't know, though, you know, because they're, they're going to be doing business soon, because that that's was right, Fire Pro. Yeah, I think, what's that, August 9th or August 8th? Yeah. I, I can't remember off the exact top of my head, but that's going to be coming out in the first or second week of August, Fire Pro Wrestling World, which is going to be on the PlayStation 4, and it's going to have all the New Japan wrestlers in it. Yeah. So there's some collaboration going on there, because I think it's a PS4 exclusive. It is, yeah. So I don't know. You would just think, like, if they really, they should, they need to streamline the the, the search features and how you look for stuff, and they really should put out nice apps for, like, video game players and stuff and make it easier for people. It all could be stuff that we see very soon with uh, yeah. Mr. Harold May at the uh, helm of the company now as president. So, yeah. Isn't it funny, too, like, if you, when that first came across and you're not paying attention, it looks like a Japanese last name? Yeah, yeah, M-E-I-J. Well, I it went right over my head at first, yeah. Sure, sure. So... Well, well, that said, now that's all I got. I said I, I had nothing, and then I just mentioned three things. But <laughs> It's all good. All right, well, in that case, uh, we're going to go home. Thank you guys so very much for listening. Reach out to us on Twitter. We've uh, gotten a lot of new followers lately, had a lot of great conversations, especially with StarCast coming up. Uh, we love chatting with you guys, so reach out to us there. Of course, we'll always uh, keep a bit of a presence over on the New Japan Pro Wrestling subreddit as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, we look forward to uh, reaching out and, and having more conversations. But uh, in the meantime, don't forget to watch the best pro wrestling on the face of the planet. New Japan Pro Wrestling, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.